has been wearing around his clothes. Welcome back. After a couple weeks off, we are back and better than ever. Um, we have wrapped up the Nine Inch Nails portion of Pod Like a Hole, and we are pleased to announce and welcome you to Pod Like a Hole Presents a Space Podity, uh, where we go through um, all of David Bowie's studio albums. Uh, we'll definitely go into the neighborhood of his live albums, his movie appearances. Um, it is a plethora of content. And uh, we're just going to plow right through it, not knowing what the hell we're talking about or what we're doing. But uh, stay tuned. We are we are in this to win this. Yes, we. it's going to be a similar structure to the previous podcast, but there is no way we can be as comprehensive because that's absolutely impossible. Uh, we've gone from a topic of a, of, of a man that, you know, uh, the, the amount of work he did was uh, contained enough to where he could you could stick with it and you could track it down where it started and where it ended. Uh, I don't know where David Bowie begins and ends. And I don't think anybody really does. And uh, it's definitely goes just beyond music releases. He was a, a pop culture phenomenon. That's absolutely true. So uh, this is your first time popping in uh, because you saw a David Bowie podcast and you're maybe recommended this from a friend uh, or anything like that. My name is Mark uh, Branstead. Um, I might change my last name for to protect the innocent, but uh, whatever. Let's do it. I'll I'll steam ahead. Uh, I I won't uh, uh, blow my my host's cover, but I'm joined with Steve and Eric. Steve, say hello. Oh, my name is Stephen Chambers, and as long as we uh, <laughs> we'll see if we have to edit that out. Hello. <laughs> And then Eric, hi, uh, Eric. Yeah, Eric Anderson here. And listen, we're—I mean—we're educating the masses with this. I'm an educator by trade. I see a completely, a complete parallel. I'm—I'm I'm fine with leaving my name in there. Yeah. Well, no, I just got to figure out how big of a uh, David Bowie fan the guy that pays me is. So there you go. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, I, how this came to be. Let's let's talk about that a little bit. Um, so season one. Uh, we we talked uh, ad nauseum about Trent Reznor, Nine Inch Nails, Atticus Ross, and everything else that orbited um, that universe. And as we wound down, as if you've been with us since the very beginning, and uh, the Venn diagram also flies into the David Bowie side. Um, over and over again. Over and over again. You over will notice and over again until it went over and out. That's... Even then, it still was flying into it. um so yeah uh we are talking um uh we we were talking about what we're going to do for a potential season two if we were just going to call it a day after that but then we are having so much fun we decided to um also pick one of our other favorite artists and uh go through their stuff and david was an uh, obvious choice honestly we can't call it a day we might have to do this for the rest of our lives because this is the closest thing i have to therapy so, you know, <laughs> uh, really don't have a choice and for the this sake, of, for the sake of Steve. Yeah. We'll be doing yeah. Steve Miller, Steve Miller album by album by the time we're 80. <laughs> well, when you guys hear what I've got planned for the, the bonuses, you'll probably think that might be a possibility. Okay. Oh man. There'll be a different guitar player named Stevie. I'm sure in one of those episodes. <laughs> uh, yep. That's on the list. Yeah. Um, no, but uh, yeah, it's uh, it's too much fun. Can't, can't stop. You can't stop it. Won't stop like uh, bad boy for life over here. Um, so, uh, <laughs> well, hold on here. 
Let me see. Is there any nine-inch news? Oh, yikes, Steve. Did you just step into the mobile studio? Man, we're going to keep calling it nine-inch news because I can't think of anything better for uh, David Bowie. I'm sure everyone saw this band released a line of uh, special David Bowie-themed shoes. They pretty much all seem to be pulling from uh, Ziggy Stardust-style themes or a lot the same. I have not bought them because I've never been much of a sneakerhead, if you will. But I'm sure my wife, who loves to buy my child uh, fancy clothes that he will grow out of because he's three, I'll pair of these very soon. So, uh, yeah, Vans made some David Bowie shoes. And also, if you've been paying attention to the charts, and I know Eric always does, you might have noticed something called Old Town Road. And uh, this is uh, significant because a, I guess he's a, a bedroom rapper or... I don't know. Uh, I don't think he's ever performed live, but a gentleman that calls himself Little Nas X released a track called Old Town Road, and it seems to be inspired by the Red Dem- Redemption video game, but he samples a track off of Ghost, which is uh, pretty cool, um, and also I think Billy Ray Cyrus is involved somehow. Uh, Eric, uh, what exactly, which track did he sample off Ghost, and... Uh, what do you think of this song? Which is the highest charted Nine Tails related song ever. Yeah, I'm gonna take my horse to the old town road. Oh, woof. Yeah, that's Billy Ray Cyrus, all right. Um, singing over... Uh, Nine Inch Nails, 34 Ghosts 4. Um, hey, listen, it's great to hear that song sampled. It lends itself well to um, some, like, country rap. Um, I mean, Trent's music in general lends itself well to rap, as we know, through his various hip-hop collaborations and remixes throughout the years. So, I mean, I get it, and I like seeing him get in the top 20, but boy, is this song bad. Um, it's just some, like, cowboy fantasies um, to the point of just, uh, it's just stupid. It's, it's just a stupid song. And, um, lest we not forget that, uh, Billy Ray Cyrus blamed David Lynch on introducing his family to the devil. Anyway, Steve, why don't you come on back in from your mobile studio? Let's get this thing back on track. Oh, but before we do that, a big thank you to AV Club. Their weekly bulletin, Podmass, collects, you know, some of the highlight podcast episodes every week and they included yours truly pod like a whole they included our conversation and interview with nine inch nails uh, previous art director rob sheridan where we talked about his time with the band and we talked about his new comic book high level and we had a blast with that episode if you haven't heard it go back and find it but just big thanks for uh av club putting a little spotlight on our uh, scrappy little show all right let's get back on track I'm afraid of Americans. I'm afraid of the world. I'm afraid I can't help it. Let's talk about David Bowie. Um, we had talked about what we're going to do. Uh, tonight we're going to talk about his very last album, Black Star. Um, instead of going forward, we're going to start at the end, and then we're going to randomize this bad boy and see where the fates really take us on this album journey it's not going to go chronologically so every episode is going to be a surprise to you the listener and to us the uh the content providers and and to that 
at the end of the day, when you have 97 hours of David Bowie podcasts, you will have the whole story of David Bowie. So we're not going to go through the whole st- story of David Bowie tonight. This is not, this is not going to be the encyclopedia Botanica tonight. You know? Yeah. He, he, was, born, <laughs> he was born January. Yeah. He was born January 8th, uh, 1947 sharing the same birthday as Elvis, which I find amazing. And uh, not the same exact day, but the same birth date. And then uh, he died, uh, what was it, January 15th? What was uh, it? It was... Cold fucking morning. Cold fucking morning. Yeah, well, yeah, Eric, but that's not a date. <sighs> description. So um, the album was released on uh, January 8th, 2016, and then Bowie died two days later. There you go. So anyhow... There you go. That's the start and the end. Uh, the, the 1947 and then uh, 2016. Yep. Um, it was a sad day. Um, but anyhow, so the format is uh, going to be obviously a little changed up. Um, we had talked a little bit autobiographical stuff, but uh, we'll start with this. If you'll indulge me, Eric, what got you into David Bowie to begin with? Take us back. Well, as as much as I might have been aware of him in just general pop culture, being like a kid growing up in the 80s and 90s, um, I know exactly who he was because of the film Labyrinth. Mm -hmm. And then I grew to love him because of Nine Inch Nails. Um, Specifically, I knew they were touring together. I was I bought tickets to that tour. My dad, Jeffrey Anderson, uh, who I may reference once or twice, um, he bought the album outside because he was going to take me to that show and he wanted to see what Bowie was up to. And I ate that shit up. I loved outside. Um, and, I, and, I, and I really grew to love him. And it took me a lot of years to, with interest here and interest there, to gather more albums and get into them. But um, those are the two points I can definitely trace it back to. Yeah, I don't I don't think that um unless unless you're Lennox Anderson, right. I don't think you can get into him overnight uh when you're younger. There's there's too much and a lot of it's a little more complex than you might be expecting. So it takes a while. So. Right. Yeah. So Steven, same question to you. Um I mean, I have a guess as maybe uh when you first uh had David yeah. Bowie on your radar, but uh I could be wrong. There, no, me. there's a couple few major touchstones. Uh, obviously one of them, actually a few of them tie around my, uh, dearly departed aunt grace, who I've mentioned before, who, um, reminder, if you want to go back to our episode where we talk about the crow soundtrack, mm-hmm. uh, she taught me to see the, she took me to see the crow. And the reason I'm bringing that up is, uh, Eric, today was record store day and it looks like you got some good finds, but you didn't get that crow release. I know I was, I actually saw it come up and right as I was going to reach for it, this guy's like, Oh, the crow. When he grabbed it. And I looked oh. at this guy, this, mo- this motherfucker was not going to listen to that album. This motherfucker was going to sell that shit. I was, uh, looking, I looked right at No, if you saw what this guy was wearing. Yeah, no, he was, he Hey, was, let's not, <laughs> let's not profile. Let's not profile. No, he was a, he was a Steve Miller fan. Let me just put it that way. <laughs> what, did you up, what did you end up getting on this record store day? I got the uh, uh, we got the Twin Peaks season two soundtrack on uh, on blue and green vinyl, and um, and there's some crazy music in season two that's not on the the first season soundtrack, like that whole final episode of Madness. Um, and then I got the Wax Tracks Industrial Accident soundtrack, which has. Excellent has classics and unreleased songs from that era. And it's very, very good. Yeah. Good I walked, um, 
That's good. I, I walked uh, the boy down to the local record store that's Cherry Records in Auburn, California, owned by Al. It's existed longer than I have. And uh, he didn't have much, which is fine. I didn't need to be spending money on anything today anyhow. But I was looking for the High and Fire EP they put out called uh, Bat Salad, but he didn't have it. Oh, anyhow. you know what? It's funny about that. Uh, was it anything like Dimple was? Because Dimple Records will bring up on the show and we have because we all met there. But it was like it was like feeding time at the zoo, as uh, Dangerfield would say. But uh, it was uh, just people just 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 shuffle like like there was probably thirty people surrounded under these boxes going through them. And yeah, no, I, I saw the high and fire one, and then I moved to a different box. And this guy's like, "Where's that high and fire?" And I was like, "Oh, you're two boxes over. Go left. Go left." He found he didn't it. Text, he didn't text me. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, it, I, I think Al gets some more business on this day, but it doesn't, it's not like he has to, you know, uh, hire a kid off the street to help him out. I got but you. Uh, anyhow, David Bowie. Yeah. My aunt Grace, definitely. She had me watch Labyrinth. She didn't make me watch it, but she was a fan of cat people, um, which he was in. Wasn't he in it? No, he just his song, his song, just his song. Yes. Just his song. Uh, great song. The, uh, putting out the fire. And, um, also she owned let's dance, which was kind of even growing up. That album was, you couldn't escape it in the, uh, the early eighties. So all that was, he was just kind of around, but mainly it was labyrinth. And then getting into high school, I've mentioned before, there was a, a commercial for M2 where Trent Reznor talked about the underwater piano sound from Ashes to Ashes. So that made me curious. And I actually, uh, I think I asked my mom to buy me a David Bowie album for Christmas and she got me the Ziggy Stardust uh, motion picture soundtrack, the live album. And that was actually kind of a greatest hits package that really, that was a, I think I was 16 or 17. That really helped just shove me in. And then from there, I think I got Space Oddity. And slowly started picking the albums up when I was around 16. But yeah, it was it was Labyrinth and uh, getting that Ziggy Stardust live album. Those two things pretty much were the, the two cornerstones. You know, I really thought that uh, I, uh, your dad being kind of into um, classic rock, you know, I thought that David Bowie, you know, a certain it, era of David Bowie would have at least given him it, a little, but there was nothing there, huh? No, that's sound, sound theory because... My love of many, many, many other artists comes from my father. Uh, as much of a lunatic as he can be, the guy had good taste. And, mm-hmm. uh, I mean, he's, he's why I was such a big Pink Floyd, Pink, Pink Floyd fan as a kid. Right. But for whatever reason, yeah, he was a Pink Floyd fan. He was a Roxy Music fan, who I never got into Roxy Music. You think in between those two poles there would be David Bowie, but he, right. wasn't, he wasn't a David Bowie guy. So, it happened without him. Hmm. Hmm. I wonder, and... Uh, and- and this isn't about your father, Steve, but I wonder as we, as we look into these, if as Bowie was finding his audience, if um, just something about like his dramatic package, you know, if, if it was, uh, you know, if there was like a masculinity uh, issue with, with people no, enjoying his man, music. My, no, I mean, come on. Like I said, Roxy music. Also, yeah. my, my dad was an Elton John fan. Oh, okay. Well, I, like also, I said, I wasn't talking about your dad. But no, I, I know, just, but I'll, it was also like... But you just bring up like a good... It's a cross-section of, of, of people that were into yeah. rock music so, at the time that weren't into it. I'm just... I guess it just didn't speak to him for whatever reason. Or maybe he just never brought him up around me. I'm not sure. Yeah. But, uh, you know, it's fine. I, I, I'm happy with how I figured it out. So, by the way, that Elton John movie looks amazing. The I don't know if you guys have watched that trailer. It stars the guy from... Uh, 
Oh, what are those two movies? Yeah, The Kingsman. Uh, yeah, King- yeah. Taron Egger- Egerton, I think, is yeah. what his name it is. It actually looks really good. But uh, I'm hopefully it'll be better. I still haven't watched it yet. But Bohemian Rhapsody looks like a pile of hot trash. It look it looks <laughs> like what Bohemian Rhapsody wanted to be. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it yeah, actually Mark- looks like some crazy like musical hallucination. So it, does. it, it could be good. What yeah. it should be for that guy. Yeah. And actually, it's funny. It's funny, and I'll kick it to you in one second. Just I, I've, <laughs> speaking of Elton John, growing up since I had like a vague idea of David Bowie's catalog, but not really. I thought Life on Mars was the Elton John song until I was like twenty. I could see <laughs> how you would make that assumption. I can. There's a lot of piano, but we'll we'll get there. Oh yes, we'll get there one day. We don't know when. We don't know when. True. Stay tuned. Um, so you, you, Mark, what's your story? It's uh, kind of a hybrid between both of you. Um, so yeah, Labyrinth is the starting point since we're all kind of born in around that same era, right? And, 1986. Um, our, 1986, yeah. yeah. So I would have been five. We were born in 1980 and 81. Right, but it came out in 86. So we were kind of in that five-year-old. And uh, I probably remember when I first watched it, I probably thought that David Bowie was actually a woman. Um, even though he had a cod piece, but he had Tina Turner type hair um, and he was wearing makeup and, you know, a young child uh, who doesn't know very much. Uh, I'm sure that I did think that the Goblin King, but that's a woman. Um, but anyhow, um, it I liked it. I enjoyed it. Um, and then I think in high school, I started hanging out with, well, I was hanging out with Steve, uh, but we had a mutual friend named Seth. Um, who was, I think, really into David Bowie. Like, not in an uh, not in an ironic way either, but he really enjoyed Labyrinth. Um, that sounds about right. That checks out. That's yeah. 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 And I th- Seth, Seth had a really good imagination. He probably still does. He sees yeah. that he's out there somewhere. Yep. And, uh, he was really into creatures and stuff like that, so that makes sense. Mm-hmm. So that's when David Bowie, like, kind of came back around. Um, I remember all the M2 days where Trent Reznor was talking about David Bowie. I appreciated David Bowie, but it was more like a curiosity. It was like, yeah, he's, you know, obviously a huge touchstone in popular culture, but um, I didn't have any of his records. Um, It really probably came uh, a little more to light when Heart's Filthy Lesson came out. I remember watching the video. It was in uh, featured in the movie Seven. um, And I didn't have outside. Um, I think I purchased, I got earthling for Christmas one year because of the, I'm afraid of Americans connection. Mm-hmm. And I think after that, I was really starting to, um, I think earthling was the very first David Bowie album that I actually purchased. Um, and then it just really sucked me in. And then after that, uh, I moved in with Steve and I think, uh, Steve was, hot and heavy with David Bowie. Like he was going back into the Ziggy Stardust era, um, showing me the live stuff. Um, yeah, I probably, I was buying, buying, actually working at Dimple benefited both of us. I actually might've started purchasing. I think I started buying these from Dimple before I worked there, but I was just, Mm -hmm. anytime I could kind of use Bowie album that wasn't one of the ones from the eighties, I'd pick it up. Yep. Uh, I remember station to station was probably like my fourth one I owned. Hunky Dory. Um, I remember you. Dory, yeah. Yeah. And then I, of course, bought Changes Bowie, uh, which was uh, actually kind of difficult to find because it was just an out of print best of. Ryko. 
on Ryko disc. Um, exactly. And uh, then I just absolutely played the shit out of that. Anytime anything used came through, I swooped it up instantaneously and I was hooked. And, yeah. uh, but yeah, I mean, it was probably towards my early twenties to mid twenties where um, I really, really got into David Bowie. It's funny. I, uh, I think I, now that you're talking a little bit and I'm remembering working at Dipple with you guys. And I was also at, at eventually started buying up the used ones, but I think I kind of like, I liked him. I, I had a few things here and there, and then I got really into like velvet underground and then mm-hmm. tried to follow Lou Reed's solo career and realized that his solo stuff, <laughs> there's a lot of stuff that's not very good, but I loved transformer and we're going to get to transformer. But yes, I will. think what I realized was like, Oh, actually I like transformer because Bowie is like, all over this thing and then that kind of like lit the fire again so dude those the backup vocals on satellite of love oh yeah (laughs) boom 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 exactly yeah i was really that's a that that was a when we were younger working together at a record store and the the excitement when something good would come in through the used portal oh that was that was like a little 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 dash of cocaine in the nostril every time every time i that, that so i think and if uh there were frequent sellers and they always sold good shit like i remember yeah, us like, fighting over yeah exactly yeah like yeah. you're the one you're the one doing the buyback but everybody's kind of behind you peering yeah, <laughs> yeah. like ready to put a post note on the cd like oh I'm, i got that one dibs on that one i yeah. remember there was a guy that 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 inherited a storage space and he came in three different times to unload all the CDs that were in the storage space. And I think he just went to me cause I did the first one and it was a little shady. So I got through all of them and I got all my bar market albums that way, which is great. And then he gave me a bottle of Jack Daniels in the parking lot for, <laughs> for doing all, for doing all those. Nice. <laughs> That'll be our fifth podcast record store stories. It's true. Yeah. Oh man. Um, we got it. One last thing is that, yeah, as we all became David Bowie guys that Nine Inch Nails helped crack the door open for. Uh, Lost Highway had a lot to do with that, too. Oh, yeah, just, did. The, just the two songs in that soundtrack. But all right. That's how we got there. Now, as far as this record goes, uh, this record came out right after he died. No, right before he died. Right before, right before, right before he, died. he died. So where were you? With the, the JFK question. Right. Where were you when David Bowie died? Uh, go ahead, I'll, Eric. I'll go, I'll, yeah, I'll go first. So I, um, it's just one of those perfect things. I was, really impressed by the album when it came out. I had no idea he was dying. Apparently I wasn't reading the lyrics. <laughs> yeah, but nobody, nobody no, did. No, it was recorded in secret and yeah. it wasn't news that he had cancer. Yeah. And, uh, so I had, was still on a high from the album. And then I just woke up one morning, uh, at like five o'clock checked my Facebooks and I was like, Oh fuck. What? What? And, uh, Yeah. It, it sucked. I was, I was in a, stu- I was in a stupor ever, you know, for the rest of the week. It was terrible. That was my, yeah, it was definitely like first thing in the morning, making coffee, checking my Facebook and then slow motion drops the coffee mug. 
shatters on the ground. <laughs> when you saw that Kaiser Soze was just a collection of, yeah. Yeah, was, exactly. Um, for me, uh, it was same deal. Um, I think it was a Saturday or a Sunday or something like that. I turn over cause I didn't have to work that day. I think it was a Sunday. Um, it was a work day. No. Cause I was at, I was at school. I, I, I had to go to school that day and I was, um, and I was maybe it was like a Tuesday or Wednesday. I can't remember. Anyhow, I'll tell you this though. Uh, I woke up, uh, my wife, Jen, and I was like, David Bowie just died. And she was like, what? She was all sleepy. I was like, yeah, David Bowie. Cause I got a notification from like a news thing on my iPhone. And, uh, it says, you know, David Bowie passes away at the age of, I can't remember, 69. And, um, and, uh, you know, I read the story and then I wake her up. I'm like, Jesus. And like, then, you know, I take my morning shit as one does. And, you know, <laughs> um, I'm reading, uh, you know, all the articles on my iPad. Yes, I'm a filthy monster that brings their digital toys into the bathroom. I bring multiple digital toys into the bathroom. Yeah, I mean, sometimes you... I bring them. You know what? Sometimes I've texted you guys from the shower. All right, it <laughs> I, it's my favorite uh, Rick and Morty joke. We all got pink eye because you take the iPad in the in the toilet. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, and, uh, you know, I'm reading some of these articles and, you know, I'm, I'm done, you know, I'm washing my hands and things like that. And it oh, just okay. like hits me. It hits me because I saw, like, I was reading all the retrospectives and actually that was the one celebrity death that I remember crying. I don't, I've never got upset about celebrity deaths. I'm like, well, I didn't know him, you know, it's sad, but like this one actually like got something out of me. It was weird. Um, <clears throat> How about you, Stephen? Where were you? Oh man, it was um, it was right after my son was born, which uh, I'm actually grateful of that. He wasn't even two months uh, old yet, but I was I was happy that him and David Bowie existed at the same time for a little bit, um, because actually, uh, John Lennon died four days before I was born, and somehow I feel responsible for it. But uh, anyhow, <laughs> uh, yeah, and we were making the transition of thinking about moving back, but we hadn't made the decision yet. We still lived in San Francisco. But my wife was spending a lot of time in my mom's house so she could help him with a really small baby. And uh, I was up there at, in my, the house I grew up in. And it was really late at night. And I think it was the, the morning. It was the night before you guys learned, but it was like 2 in the morning. And so I think that's when the news came out. And I, I was like, what? Have I, have I had one too many? This, is, this can't be true. This must be a, a, Twitter, a Twitter rumor or something. And I was just like, I, I must have misread that. I can't. No, that's not. No, it's not real. And I went to bed just thinking it was like a weird, like I was like, I misread something or, I, you know, I was delirious from just being up too late. And then I woke up the next morning and I was like, I had that feeling where uh, like when you're a young kid and a girl breaks your heart or a boy and, uh, you know, you go to bed and you don't think about it for a while. You wake up the next day and you might go like two minutes without thinking about it, but then it hits you again. Ooh. It was a. Uh, it was that same feeling. And like oh, God. new baby, new baby delirium is a real thing. So yeah. 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 And I was like, Oh, it was real. Yeah. And uh, no, I was despondent. I, I, I'm pretty sure. I mean, I didn't wail. And then I, I cried, talked to my wife about it. Told my mom about it. Uh, spent the next few weeks listening to every guy, every, every album again, every one of them, even, even uh, the Duram one, with the laughing gnome, all that stuff. <laughs> uh, yeah. So yeah, there's a, uh, I was bummed out, but then, uh, yeah, I, I listened to the new record quite a bit 
but not as it's funny. His death made me listen to his new record less because I visit, revisited all the other ones, like right around that time. So yeah, I was glad that we did the podcast because I've 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 never sat down and scrutinized it like I did these last few weeks. Yeah, you're right. Me too. I mean, it was just kind of one of those things that I would put on and just kind of like listen to it. Uh, you know, not really immersed in it. And yeah, this is kind of fun little exercise. I, uh, I, uh, I actually like this, his death solidified this one for me. Um, I remember I had friends that are David Bowie fans and like, they're like, I can't listen to it. It's just too soon. I just, it's just too hard, but I don't know something about the way it was executed and what he was trying to say. I, it, it helped me to have that album to listen to, uh, especially since it's it's essentially his you know his farewell so yeah i i no i think it is a great record like it's, i even i thought it was great then but uh i probably listened to it maybe less than 10 times uh that year and then maybe 10 more times the next year and then maybe 20 times in the last month so it's um so yeah that's that's around when he died is around when the album came out so when that album dropped uh, we liked it, but what, what was the general consensus out there between the, I know the fans seemed to like it, but what are the, what were the critics saying, Eric, you got anything? Yeah, no, I, they, this was a, a huge, uh, critical hit. It uh, was a Metacritic has it scored at 87, um, out of a hundred. Um, this is based on 43 critics, which is very high. Um, Metacritic or the Metascore is essentially just an aggregate of all of the, uh, critical analysis and then the user and then you know uh, the audience loved it as well i think it showed up on quite a few end of year best of lists um and it oh, won yeah. some AV, grammys yeah. as well av club chicago tribune new york times yeah the av club gave it their album Rolling of the Stone. year yeah it won four grammys pitchfork it was number four uh, pitchfork. pitchfork loved it in the pitchfork review which i revisited in pitchfork that damn website you know, they have a reputation, which is right, rightfully earned of being kind of snooty, but they do have some good writers there. They do. And I, they, some good writers, <laughs> but, um, they're dueling reviews of the fragile aside. But, uh, I read the, uh, the one for this album again and it was written before he died. And the guy kept saying like, you know, it's pretty wild. If this is, you know, if he never writes another album that he could, this could be listened to long after he dies and just scrutinized. And I was like, that's very very foreboding that two days later he died. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. And, uh, yeah, no, everybody, everybody seemed to dig it. Um, I, I wanted to make sure that we noted that and we'll note it for every album. What I will be calling the Jay Sherman roundup. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't stink. <laughs> so that's the, uh, yeah, that this, this thing came out of the, 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 the dawn of 2016. What else, Eric? What else briefly went oh, on? Yeah. In the year? Pop culture was bullshit. Um, there was a faked robbery during the Olympics. There was an actual Kardashian robbery. Uh, there was uh, some celebrity breakups and makeups. Uh, the top films of 2016, we had La La Land, Deadpool, Moonlight. Top oh, Moonlight. Moonlight was a good one. Yeah, that was a goodie. That was a goodie. Yeah. Yeah, the Moonlight. If you all remember the uh, the hubbub at the 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 Oscars when they what movie did they accidentally give it to? La La Land. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that was a hot mess. Um, uh, top TV. Uh, actually, all pretty good shows. 
Stranger Things, Westworld, Better Call Saul, Game of Thrones. Game of Thrones, which tomorrow, dear listeners, which will probably be uh, a week ago. Right. Season eight premieres. That's right. Be there. Um, <clears throat> albums. Uh, Kanye's Life of Pablo. Beyonce's Lemonade. Uh, and Radiohead's uh, Moonshaped Pool. And then uh, actually Black Star, when I looked up the top albums, this was number one with the bullet. So there you go. Yeah, that's good. Uh, over in the, the sports world, which is, and I know what you people really come here for. In 2016, the, uh, the Broncos won the Super Bowl. So that was a nice break from the constant Patriots winning the Super Bowl. Uh, the Cubs won the um, World Series. And unfortunately, Mark, that was the snap of the even year magic, I believe, correct? It, it was. And the Giants at least got to the playoffs, but that was the last time they've sniffed the postseason. <laughs> yeah. Were you did you were you up all night watching the, the game today? <laughs> oh, and did they go into extras again? Oh, that was no, last night. I mean, no, I no, mean no. the game that ended at one AM. <laughs> no, no, I did not. I only read about it. My God. Yeah. <laughs> An eighteen inning game. Uh Broken by a fielder's choice error. That's uh, that's baseball. That's yeah. <laughs> Catch that <laughs> fever. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I guess they lit off fireworks and a bunch of the locals got pissed off. <laughs> <laughs> One o'clock in the morning. Oh my god. Yeah. Um, and then a very great thing happened, my friends. In 2016, there's this darkness that shrouds the NBA. It emanates from the East Bay. And it's known as the Golden State Warriors. And they win too much, and it's just annoying. But that was the year that our Lord and Savior, who's not even making the playoffs this year, LeBron James and his Cleveland Cavaliers beat the Golden State Warriors to win the Larry O'Brien Trophy in the NBA Finals of 2016. Yeah, that was a fun one. That was good. Yeah, yeah, you watched that one. You caught you caught the basketball bug. Oh, yeah. I, I generally will tune in for the postseason for basketball. Um I mean, that's I and same with football. I don't really follow any teams uh, throughout the regular season, uh, but when it comes to that postseason uh, drama, you know, yeah, I'll punch it's my fun. ticket. I'll I'll take a seat. I'll watch. It's happening. That. It's happening right now again. And also, what's happening is that the Sacramento Kings didn't make the playoffs again, but they had the best season they've had since 2006, where they still fired their coach, Mr. Dave Yeager, and then they went around and hired the recently fired Lakers coach, Luke Walton to be their coach. So as of today, Luke Walton is the coach of the weird. Sacramento Kings. And um, <clears throat> if anybody knows their Kings history, it's kind of weird. And that today's sports talk. Sports. Sports. Oh yeah. Yeah. Excellent. And uh, one thing I forgot to mention in 2016 was that there was an election for a president. Never heard of it. Uh, <laughs> and, and that it may or may not be referenced in a, song about a a uh flim flam artist that uh that uh gets followers to pursue a uh focus of evil but anyways yes there was an election in 2016 a flim flam man flams and scams yeah and scams the album comes out in 2016 it was recorded in 2015 right over the period of i think nine months almost in secret steven uh I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to get on the old history boat and I'm going to take it down the river a little bit. I'd like, I'd like for you to do that. Yeah. So tell us, tell us a little bit about, about the making of this album and who made it. Right. 
Right. So, uh, Bowie kind of disappeared for a while. Uh, in the 2004, I'm taking us back now 12 years from when the album was released in 2004, he had a heart attack on stage or something. He had a, he had a serious medical issue on stage. I believe it was a heart attack. Yeah, I think it was. Yeah. yeah and he disappeared. Um, no more yeah, tours, the last, the no last, more interviews. The, the la- he didn't do a lot of interviews. And the last time he actually performed live was in 2006 with Alicia Keys, where they, did, they covered changes at some charity event. Okay. Yeah. So he really, uh, yeah, he, he kind of, I wouldn't say he became a recluse, but he wasn't in the public eye. Right. Right. I mean, yeah. No, he wasn't like, yeah, he didn't become a hermit. But as far as like his Bowie musician persona, he was still creative, but not like actively touring, promoting, interviewing, nothing like that. Uh, he put out the next day um, in what was that? 20, was it 2012, 2011, 2013 sounds yeah, right to me. 2013. And don't then, yell at us for not doing our research. Yeah, people. We'll We're get there. Black yeah. Night, we'll right? get there. Um, but mortality was on his mind. Um, and then in 2014, the whole genesis of Black Star can be found on a, a song that he did for his greatest hits compilation called Nothing Has Changed. So way back in 2014 for nothing has changed. He recorded Sue in the season of crime with the uh, Maria Schneider orchestra. And she does like a big band jazz thing, but it's still very experimental. And if you listen to that, that song um, it's all over the place, but it was there that he met the uh, saxophonist uh, Donnie uh, McCaslin. And Donnie McCaslin is a guy that just would perform in clubs all around New York. Uh, very uh, avant-garde, like new jazz, kind of like new metal, but uh, <laughs> but new jazz. Um, all right. A lot of, uh, yeah, uh, just kind of like, it's, uh, honestly, it sounds like organic drum and bass with a lot of like deep saxes going nuts. Um, I can see that from, from the album. Yeah. 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 Organic, organic drum and bass is a perfect way to put it. Right. And so he got, uh, Donnie McCaslin and his band to be like the house band for his next step forward. Um, and yeah, from that, those first sessions, uh, with, um, that orchestra, he got Sue in the season of crime. You got tis a pity. She was a whore. And those two versions are out there and they're completely different than what would, what would show up in Blackstar. The lyrics are the same, but they're um, 
a little bit uh, more like, uh, uh, I would say, Im- uh, improvised. But at the same time, like you have 50 players or not 50, that's a ridiculous, uh, you have like 15 players in that orchestra that are um, being like seriously composed. So it's it's very controlled improvisation. Um, well, you get a much more focused sound on the actual album. So check those out if you want. Yeah, I've checked, I checked them out and I don't know if Tony Visconti was a, a, a used on them, but they definitely sound a little less like they're part of a record. They sound more like they're sketches. Right. And uh, yeah, not bad, but what you get in the album is much better. Right. But, but uh, it's clear that, and I think uh, if you've, we're going to reference this often tonight, but if you've seen the HBO documentary, the last five years, it collects, actually it's more than five years. It collects from that reality tour to when Bowie died and you actually see them talking about this session. And I think he actually wanted um, uh, this, uh, the Schneider, uh, Maria Schneider Orchestra to be the Black Star Band, but then it didn't work out. But the saxophonist, Donnie uh, McCaslin, said, no, no, we're going to, we'd be happy to do this and, and it would be a dream come true. So, and honestly, I think it's a move in the right direction. It's uh, less cooks in the kitchen and uh, much more focused sound. So were they just playing in like, like this Donnie McCaslin? How do you say his name? McCaslin. Donnie McCaslin. So he's just playing at different jazz clubs in the in yeah. Manhattan. I, I mean, whatever. I'm not going to say he's like some dude on the corner playing saxophone for somebody to throw money no, into no, a I'm hat. Not sure, but like he's, he's like he was respected. Like he's. But did, like so, David Bowie just like one day like came to one of his shows and tapped him on the shoulder. I mean, right? How, basically, how yeah. He started going to his shows and. And, uh, and, and, you know, you know, Hey, we played together on that song. Let's, let's do an album. Yeah. And, um, then we bring in our second major driving force in black star, which is the Lazarus play. And I'm sorry for you, uh, Broadway heads out there, but, uh, we're not going to get too into the play. No, um, I, I absolutely just, re- it, I refuse. <laughs> it's just too much. I, I listen. The, the the play can be. Let's throw it in the bonus pile of, uh, list. <laughs> but right, that's, uh, right. We're not we're not going in depth on that tonight. I think there is a discussion to be had about the Lazarus play. The Lazarus play was meant to be a continuation of his character from the man that fell to earth, um, and it starred Michael yeah, C. Hall. By, uh, Michael C. Hall from uh, Dexter, or as I like to remember him, David from Six Feet Under. You know, they should have used Anthony Michael Hall, but whatever. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. The bo- the boner boy. Yeah. Yeah. But um, anyways. That's, doc- that's Dr. Green. <laughs> so Lazarus, what, Lazarus, like David Bowie, this was like his pet project. It was a very like meta look at this guy that always felt out of place, his character from Annafield Earth, but also him as an artist, like getting older and coming to terms with himself and then dying and moving on. Um, and the play was, I mean, pretty successful and it had a lot of old Bowie songs and it had some new songs. And um, some of those songs showed up on black star. Um, and they all sat like the, the, the sound of the music definitely fits what he was doing with Donnie McCaslin. So this is a huge, yeah, but the, those songs on Lazarus, the play though. Yeah. Which you can find any streaming service if you want, which we're not going to go into depth tonight. They definitely sound like they're part of a musical. It's uh they're all singing to the rafters. Yeah, they're all yeah. 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 
Absolutely. I mean, the, ver- the version of uh, Life on Mars drove me bonkers. <laughs> I'm not a fan. Well, it meant a lot to Bowie, so it's worth it's worth mentioning, and it was a big part of the genesis of Black Star. But eventually, he there were some themes themes in that play he wanted to explore more on his own with his band, and um, they hit the studio. It was called the Magic Box. Uh, Mark, we were talking about this. What else was recorded there? Um, <laughs> I have do not remember. Okay, that's fine. It's uh, anyways. Um, I, was uh, it's the magic shop. Oh, there uh, you go. There you go. Yeah. Um, have fun. All I, no, all I remember about the magic shop uh, was in that last five years uh, documentary. Uh, James Murphy, who does appear on this record, who's you know an LCD sound system. Um, and it's just kind of a nondescript recording studio in New York. Um, right. Hey, can you guys talk a little bit about this HBO thing that you're referencing? It's HBO, right? Yeah. Yeah. It is available on HBO. They did two documentaries on David Bowie. One is the, uh, just called five years and it kind of goes over David Bowie at the height of his powers. And then there was a continuation of a separate documentary called the last five years, um, which really talks about uh next the next day uh talks about this one um it's been a while since i've watched it i think you guys have just recently rewatched it um uh, is that those are the only two eras that it really covers am i right right well they, yeah. yeah it starts with the re- like with a preamble with the reality tour just as like his his like shock into mortality kind of thing but yeah yeah it's it's um, it's very good. It's very good, and it's sad, but sad in the right ways. Like you know, you're not miserable when you watch it. You're you, you're celebrating somebody for sure. I'm gonna be honest. I dug so much into listening to this record and doing everything else. I completely forgot to finish those damn things. So. <laughs> it's all right. Yeah, um, I'll, so I'll be leaning. I'll be leaning on you, buddy. But, so uh, the, well, uh, well, I, what I what I did right there was I purposely steered the conversation away to something else. So I could find what we needed. Right. And uh, some of the other people that recorded at this uh, music box studio, mm-hmm. magic shop, I'm sorry, uh, David Bowie, Lou Reed, Nora Jones, Suzanne Vega, the Foo Fighters, the Ramones, they all recorded stuff there. Gotcha. I think I was thinking of the Foo Fighters because also on another HBO show uh, where they do their um, uh, it's a record that really goes through all different recording studios across the U S and um, they, Dave Grohl filmed it as a documentary. Right. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's what led to the sound suit sound city thing. I think it was it? after sound city. Yeah. 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 Okay. yeah, exactly. A continuation of it then. Right. I would say a continuation. Um, that was a very good series and it was a very fun um, Jen when she was watching it, she was like, I wish they would just talk more about the city in the recording process rather than actually then playing the songs because she's not a Foo Fighters fan. Um, I actually, I like the Foo Fighters. I think they're I know, right. I, they, they write, they write great rock songs. They do. That last one was good. Like I've said before, yes. uh, but anyhow, um, go ahead. Continue. Eric. Oh, no, I was just, I'll... now that I think about it uh, on the, uh, the bonus episode list, track my track of Nirvana's unplug. Why not? Why not? Okay, exactly. Um, <laughs> that, that tangentially ties into David Bowie for sure. Um, exactly. So, I have to actually, now that actually, I gotta stop. Full stop. Yep. yep. Nirvana's Unplugged also really did help me get keyed into David Bowie for obvious reasons. Yeah. That, yeah. The cover, yeah. and the cover of uh, "Man Who Sold the World" definitely really turned me on. I'm pretty sure I heard that cover before the original, and yeah. it made me seek out the original. Oh, I did for sure. 
And then for when sure I, I when I, I when I saw David Bowie live at the Bridge Benefit concert many years later playing acoustic, and he played that acoustically, I was I was in seventh heaven. It was great. Well, and just the solo at the end of that, which I I think might be one of Kurt Cobain's finest moments. When when I learned later that on the original song that guitar solo is actually uh, <laughs> David Bowie's vocals, it just made me appreciate it even more. So, oh wow! Yeah, uh, carry on. So I was just gonna say the band that he uses his house band on this album is uh donnie mccaslin is saxophone flute and any woodwind you hear jason lindner uh is the pianist he plays uh the woolitzer organ and any other kind of crazy synthy keyboardy things um tim uh left left fever oh fuck he's the bass player and man his bass joints on this album anyways we'll get to him take a walk yeah, yeah, but him and him and Mark uh, Juliana, uh, who's the drummer, uh, yeah, their their back and forth is uh, its own love story. When you listen to this album, um, Ben Monder is the guitarist, and then we got Tony Visconti playing strings on Black Star, and uh, James Murphy plays percussion on two tracks, and he actually played a part in recording a song. But I'll get to that when we get to the song. I got a really good story about that, and then. Um, Aaron Tonkin does backing vocals on track two, which is, uh, what was track two? Sue? Which one's track two? No, track two is, uh, tis a pity she was. Oh yeah. Yep. 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 So she's on the background on that one. Um, uh, I'm sure Tony Visconti did a backup vocals too, because, uh, he, a lot of the albums they worked on together, which is the majority of David Bowie's albums. (laughs) A lot, whenever you have backup vocals, a lot of times it would just be the two of them uh, singing together. Right. Yeah, and uh, I kind of like that content. I think there. Tony Visconti is going to have his own bonus episode because his, his relationship with Bowie is uh, it's already it, on the list, Eric. Yeah, it is. It's fantastic. <laughs> yeah, because his relationship with Bowie is a it, it, he's the Paul Barker to Bowie's Al Jorgensen right. for not a very good comparison, but that's what I got right now. Sure, so. that's it. I like it. Uh, Visconti definitely said that he realized um, that this was a farewell album. I mean, he was one of the few people that knew what Bowie was going through. Um, so much so that like Bowie was like, Hey, let's record a follow-up to black star right after they finished. And then never got to it, of course. But um, yeah, but in, in all the press leading up to it and even right after it, he kind of was like, no, of course when we, you know, nobody, nobody had any idea. I, I don't know when he made a switch, but he, he said that when it was being recorded, it wasn't like they were approaching it as a farewell album. And then later he kind of put two and two together. I, I don't know. Um, it, if you read the the articles right after the album came out and then like maybe a few months later, his tone kind of changes on how much he knew it was a final album. Not that it matters, you know? Yeah. I mean, I, I think, you know, he knew David, everybody, they, they, they knew David was David. I guess we're going to have to get used to calling him David. Uh, yeah. <laughs> they knew, they knew he was sick. He looked frail, you know, he would come in there and it was time when it was time to work, he would start belting stuff out, but you could tell he was, he was fighting something. So yeah. Yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah. I mean, he said, he said basically, I have a direct quote here actually, is that a lot of people said that they, that after they knew he passed, after they knew he was dead, well, of course this album was about dying, but to Tony Visconti's credit, he was like, I don't, you know, how could you have known that? He's been writing about death and decay since the seventies. That's exactly what he said. So yeah, good, fair enough. 
Um, so we're going to get track by track here in a minute. Um, one of the websites that I'll reference a lot is pushing the Dame, which is, uh, a super in-depth look into the eras of David Bowie. And, uh, I got the definition for black star, what a black star is, which I think is kind of fun to, to follow the album into it's, it's a transitional state between a collapsed star and a singularity um, in physics, which basically makes sense if Bowie is placing himself as the collapsed star and the singularity is the state that he will enter into after his death. And also it's a tie to Elvis Presley because in the song, a very uh, little known Elvis song called Black Star, he sings, when a man sees his black star, he knows his time has come. Oh, interesting. Well, there you go. And it was released on Elvis's birthday. So, which is also Bowie's birthday. Exactly. Yeah. noticed when i was reading through this is they said they were very influenced by kendrick lamar with this record oh yeah they were playing to pimp a butterfly while they set up in the studio every day which that out that the the backing band on that album is just chock full of like new jazz all-stars okay um i can't name anybody right now but (laughs) look it up because i've actually like uh before everybody realized he was a, a diddler, I, there was a great Charlie Rose with a bunch of new jazz all-stars <laughs> where they, where they all like co- collaborated on, on Kendrick Lamar's album. So anyways, it totally makes sense that they listened to that while they were making this album. Yeah, no, they were, they, they, it influenced them And this album took about six months to record and then three months to, to master. Manhattan 2015. Oh, yes. Tony, how are you? <laughs> hey, Dave, uh, I'm doing great. I'm uh, just working on this, uh, you know, this secret album that you and I have been working on. Back in town again on on the East Coast. All right. You know, I don't like it when you stay on the West Coast for too long. We have work to do out here, Tony. So, have you thought at all about what we talked about? <laughs> sure. You said you wanted the sounds of this album to really uh, symbolize uh, uh, mortality and, and legacy. Um, and I thought the best way to do that was with the uh, timeless sound of the xylophone. <laughs> well, okay, yes. Uh, xylophones. I don't think we're going to go back to xylophones. Yeah, fair enough, boss. Hey, 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 you're the boss, Dave. Uh, but hey, listen, I don't know what else you had in mind. I could call my friend Mickey Rook to come over and rap for us again. <laughs> But I was thinking, Tony, that those cats on the Lower East Side, they might be on to something, don't you think? I hear you loud and clear, boss. You're talking about jazz. Yes, exactly. The saxophone. Tony, the saxophone 
is where we need to get back to. That is the sound of yesterday and now. Ah, uh, you're talking about a little something like this. Well, when I hear those fellows in the Lower East Side, uh, it shimmers. And I, I can't quite explain what the shimmering is, but it's there. And Tony, I'll be lying if I don't tell you, that shimmering, there's a darkness to it. I think it might be a black star. Whoa, black star. <laughs> Sounds like you got a bingo right there, boss. And, um, yeah, when they were recording it, a lot of times these songs that you hear that do have production flourishes on them, a lot of it was recorded live, and he would just uh, sing live with the band playing, and uh, it wasn't, like, track over track. Like, it was all, all of them at the same time uh, jumping in. So the final product sounding the way it does, uh, that makes it even more interesting to me. But, uh, yep. Absolutely. Recorded for almost a year in secret, and it turned out great. Yeah. So before we discuss all these songs, let's take a break. Let's, uh, let's let everybody listen to a little Black Star, and we'll, and we'll be right back to talk about it. the opening track on black star and it was black it was the opening track to all of us too because that video was released a good like what four or five months before the album dropped uh and that video i mean since that was the first thing we saw of the song can we talk about that video a little bit no we need to talk about that video before before that are you sure you're not speaking out of turn there like four or five months uh, i think it dropped in the summer all right, here you start talking about the video. I'm gonna do my homework. Johan Rank directed the video. He, re- he directed uh, this and Lazarus, and they are they are brother sister videos for sure. Oh yeah, they go together hand hand. If Lazarus would have came out first, we all would have known something was up though. Yeah, it's true. It's <laughs> <laughs> 100. Yeah, that's totally true. Uh, yeah, so we have Bowie playing three characters in this video. 
we have all sorts of allusions to, uh, you know, life, death, the occult, uh, major Tom a video starts with a, a, uh, astronaut looking at a, basically an imploding star in the, in the, in the sky. And then a girl comes up and with a tail. Yeah, and it's got a little smiley face in the astronaut, I think, which references his kid's movie, Moon. That's right. It does. Dunk, Duncan Jones. Moon. Good movie. Yeah, it is a great movie. And uh, Eric, this video was filmed in September of 2015. Yes. And this girl takes the skull out of the out of the outfit. Which means it couldn't have been five to six months earlier. What are you talking about? You said this video came out for like five to six months before the album. No, I thought I, I I seem to remember coming out in summer and before the album dropped, which was in winter. But I, it was record. The video was filmed in September of 2015. Ah, interesting. Yeah. So I guess it's impossible. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> now you can keep going. I just wanted to point that out. Thank you, fact you fact checker. Um. So yeah, we're clean things up. We're cleaning things up in phase two. All right. <laughs> So this Keeping uh, each other honest. That's true. This uh, so this girl with a with a tail collects this uh, bedazzled skull from the astronaut costume, which we're all meant to believe is uh, Major Tom. And then later in an interview, Johan, the director, says, "Oh, as far as I'm concerned, that's Major Tom." So um, collects this bedazzled skull, and then the video follows this uh, weird character that Bowie's playing, which is like a. This is what I was saying before, this like flim flam artist that everybody's following. He's some uh, priest that is obviously doing the work of evil as he basically collects a coven. Coven. Sorry, I don't know my words. And uh, yeah, he's carrying around a, a book with a, a, a black star and it looks like a Bible. Right. And then uh, he plays a couple other characters. Um, somebody kind of watching this all happen is like Bowie is the uh, is the the public figure Bowie that's watching this all happen. And then there is old Button Eyes. Button Eyes is his new character for the Black Star. It's a yeah, it actually scared my son who loves David Bowie. Uh, also in also in Labyrinth, right? <laughs> it's Button Eyes. But oh is it? Is that a character from Labyrinth? No, la la I'm sorry. Lazarus. Oh yeah, 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 yep, yeah, yeah. also in Lazarus. And, and, and also in the album, straight, straight, straight out of a Guillermo de Toro, del Toro yeah. movie. And actually, uh, if you look at the album artwork, you see a uh, button eyes a lot. It's just a gauze wrapped around his, his eyes and then uh, two buttons sewn on. And then he's got big old David Lynch hair. And, yeah. um, and that's actually just Bowie, like Bowie dying and watching this, this all happen. So yeah, it's a crazy video. And you see like, this priest preaching and you see these, these followers start dancing and then you see his Bowie's face, like go over their faces. Mark, you said something in a text message about what this song is about. Didn't you? I don't think so. You like, said something was, uh, you related uh, it to Twin Peaks. Mark, you know, Mark made a joke that this is the creation of Bob. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, it, and it, he's not wrong. So like, yeah. So then we look at the song, we look at the oh lyrics, Mark, what have you done? Yeah. I mean, no, no, it's not Bob. It's not Bob, but it's the same thing. It's, 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 he says, you know, uh, something happened on the day that he died, his spirit leapt up and then stepped aside. And then he's replaced by something evil that like, then like can start like gathering followers and he's very interesting. And it's 
basically a crazy song about some like evil person. That's it's basically like when you sell your soul for something evil and then gather a following doing that thing. It's a very interesting song. Well, I don't know if that's what I think it's about, but I got nothing better. Um, I do know that the video actually, it genuinely very few things make me unnerved in my old age. I've seen it all, you know, like, I mean, at this point, reality is basically a Hellraiser movie, but, uh, <laughs> I was watching this movie late last night, maybe at like 1am this morning in the, where we're right now in, in my basement where you guys were here last week for a minute, by the way, we had a housewarming party last week and Eric and Mark came by and it was a great time. It was, but, uh, it's always good to get together in person, which we didn't do for this recording. But um, I was watching that video and I, I really felt like I had to look over my shoulder a few times because all of the people twitching and shaking, it's just extremely disturbing the way it's done in that video. It's uh, And there's some shots where you just see like a half a person's leg like twitching on the ground. And it's just it's funny. Uh, then, Bowie showed the, the you've, got the you've got the coven part, which is like right out of the end yeah. of the movie, The Witch. Yeah. It's, yeah. 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 Bowie showed uh, the director some old Popeye cartoons and he's like, I want people to dance like that. <laughs> so, <laughs> that's why it's all like stop stutter dancing. It's just like old bad animation. Um, yeah. But it, as much as all that happens, that segment in the middle of the song, which is probably my favorite part of the album. Yeah. Like it's very angelic and beautiful but at the same time it goes I'm a black star that's all weird sounding something happened on the day he died spirit rose and meet up and stepped aside somebody else took his place and bravely cried I'm a black star I'm a black star how many times as an angel fall How many people lie Instead of talking tall He trod the sacred ground He cried loud into the crowd singing to that attic and he's kind of he's doing what David Bowie does really well which is like pantomiming and acting as he's singing and he's putting his his hand on his his hip and shaking his other arm and pointing at the camera and stuff that part's just amazing uh, he's a when, when that guy sings this is what he does very differently than a lot of other artists is that when he's singing I can never imagine David Bowie just singing I usually when I see him singing or even picture him He's using his hands. He's doing some shuck and jive. He's doing some Ronnie James Dio points. He does. Right. He's really good at that. He's a, it's a full watching him sing is a, a lot of times a full body experience. And uh, that section in the video in the attic really nails that. So one of the references that we'll get to at the end of the episode um, uh, connects this to um, kind of my interpretation of it as being like, somebody sells their soul to have power and that power means gathering followers for the, for the intent of evil. It, uh, the Villa of Orman in the Villa of Orman is the opening lines stands a solitary candle. So 
Orman is a serpent in Norwegian. Uh, it's a it's the word for serpent, um, and it's also mentioned by Alistair Crowley, um, who apparently Bowie was obsessed with in the seventies. Um, so we can do a but we can do a bonus episode on the song Mr. Crowley by Ozzy Osbourne. <laughs> there you Got go. Uh, apparently, um, you know, he says it at the center of it all, which is actually a line from a Crowley ritual that he had done. Um, so anyways, there's a connection to that. And then the black and silver suit that Bowie wears in the Lazarus video, which we'll talk about later is also based on a Crowley drawing called the tree of life. So (laughs) anyways, there's some, there's some occult shit going on. Uh, this song is is amazing. It's 10 minutes long. It was actually originally almost 12 minutes, but, uh, you know, no offense, Mark. Uh, Apple won't release a single that's longer than 10 minutes. <laughs> so they had, they had to cut it down. Is that true? That is absolutely true. If, it's, if, you're, if you have a single that's longer than 10 minutes, they will not let you release it. So they had to cut it down to 9.57. Wait, wait, wait. They'll re- you can put songs that are over 10 yes, minutes. Yes, if it's long. part of a bigger album, but this was supposed to be a single initially. Okay. And it had to be under 10 minutes. Yeah. That's wild. Yeah. So, uh, huh. anyways, probably, I mean, I mean, I mean, whoever heard of a 10 minute single. So, I mean, it makes sense, but, uh, uh Don McLean. <laughs> uh, so- one thing that's interesting is that somebody at some point he had told people in the band that that uh, he was inspired to write the song because of ISIL or ISIS, you know, terrorists. And if you just look at like a somebody that's corrupting people for power, you can kind of see that connection as well. So anyway, yeah, I would never put together that all checks out with the video. Unlike a lot of Eric's other harebrained uh, philosophies in our previous episodes, this has visual uh, evidence to where I, I buy it. Right. Um, <laughs> Listening to it, I would never put that together, but the video really, at least the video's version of the song, definitely the whole uh, snake oil salesman. I, I, I could see it. Right. Well, I mean, the song itself is just like some like crazy jazzy drum and bass until it gets all pretty in the middle, like you're talking about, and then yeah. goes into some crazy like psychedelic places. But um, yeah, so yeah, if you're just listening to it, you wouldn't necessarily get that. But no, the song, but the song itself, I mean, do you guys remember hearing it for the first time? Oh, yeah. Did you even notice it? Oh yeah, I, I I watched the video and I was like, "Holy fuck!" I texted everybody I knew, like, "This new Bowie song is amazing." The video really got to me. Mark, what do you got? Yeah, when I when I first heard it, I absolutely uh, did like it. I remember um, uh, having it uh, on day of release um, uh, through the streaming. I didn't see the video until a little bit later, um, so I I. I I loved the song. Um, it, uh, it is a 10 minute journey that takes you different places. Uh, I think if I could liken it to any other opening Bowie track, it would be station to station. I can see uh, that. Just a little more jazzy, a uh, lot more jazzy, obviously, you know, with a little more free form avant-garde doing- art jazz. I got to pause you right there. This is why we're doing this podcast. Mark mentioned station to station. And I just got really excited to one day talk about the song station to station. That's, well, it's funny. Yeah. yeah. This guy's catalog is. <laughs> in 1997, Bowie said um, to Q Magazine, the Station to Station track itself is the nearest to uh, magic treaties that I've ever written. Um, <laughs> uh, uh, 
anyways, so that 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 song itself connecting to the Crowley artwork is uh is it's just funny how that all kind of plays together. So anyways, Mark, back to your initial thoughts. Sorry. Um my favorite segment of this song because it really it is a three act play in one song um as it has kind of a beginning, a middle and then an end. But my favorite part is actually when things get a little more funky. Um Okay. It's during the section like uh, I'm a black star way up on my, on money I've got game I see right so wide Kind of in that video part where he's uh, uh, kind of winking and kind of sashaying and dancing yep. a little bit and you know yep. pointing at the camera. Yeah, that's my favorite part of the entire song. Um, you've got yeah, you've got it opens up with the on the villa of Amen and the drum beat's kind of like dun 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 dun. Yeah, dun dun dun, dun. and then it kicks up half of, and then it goes dun 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 dun. It goes it goes through that repetition for a while. And then you get into the pretty part in the middle, which is my favorite part. Something happened on the day you died. Yeah. It all slows down a little bit. It gets a little angelic. And then, like, it has that that whole, you know, it's really pretty. But then, yeah, it gets into this funky part that Mark's speaking of, of what it's, uh, it starts strutting and there's, there's some saxophones. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it starts creeping, uh, before it goes back into the Mormon thing. Exactly. Um, And I I think it's uh, an interesting uh, dichotomy of, of musical as it just kind of flows. I, I, again, I don't have musical theory in my background, um, but I, it it is definitely very free form. That's good. Damn it. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I I don't think so either, but I'm just saying that like, uh, this is probably, you know, I'm not a jazz person by any means. I appreciate the art form, but I'm not like uh, ever putting on a jazz record and sitting down and really immersing myself in it. It's more that like, totally that totally explains why last night we did not see you at the Medinsky Martin and Wood show. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, I actually did purchase some Medinsky Martin and Wood back in the day, but yeah, and it just didn't it it didn't take. Um, but this is a good song. It's never not interesting. I I think I would say that about the album as a whole. Um, but, uh, yeah, this is definitely one of the standout highlight tracks for me on the, on the record. The lyrics, oh, yeah, the no. lyrics during the part you like Mark get so silly, but in a great way. Like, uh, when he's like, I'm, I'm a black star. I'm not a gang star. Um, I'm not a porn star. Right. I'm not yep. a porn star. He's like, uh, take your passports and your shoes. I'm not a pop star and your sedatives boo. I'm a black star. Yep. <laughs> so That's where lyrics. the Kendrick Lamar influence was yeah. coming. <laughs> Oh yeah, no, it's 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 a great track. It's haunting, but it's also very angelic at times. And um, I, I just it sounds otherworldly. This album sounds like the album Black Star. That really sounds like its own thing. Yeah. Um, yeah, I can't. It's not any one genre. What's funny is this song is itself. It's not about. I mean, there's death and rebirth in this song, but it but it's a it's basically like 
the death of your soul when you buy into something like something evil and wrong. So I guess that fits into the theme of the album in a way, which, you know, but anyways, it's a great, yeah, it's a great song. Yeah. And that video, man, it's, I'm (laughs) that video won, Um, uh, won some MTV movie awards that year. So our music video awards that year. It deserved it. It, (laughs) It looks like it, like something out of like a modern, like black metal video or something with just the weird rituals and <laughs> the scarecrows, the bearded scarecrows, the, the scarecrow. they're like gyrating on their, on the, God, yeah, why'd you bring that up? The gyrating weird scarecrow, which looks like it has tentacles coming off the, of it. And the beard, the beards. Words. Yeah. Let's, let's say it is what, let's call it. This looks like an Alan Moore, more comic book. It does. That That's great. Someday it's got rituals. It's got tentacles. It's got weird people moving in weird ways. It's got button eyes. It's just, <laughs> Something. What bonus episode? Possible bonus episode is is uh, frame by frame of that music video. <laughs> so good. Or just reading a uh, Alan Moore's Neonomicon and connecting it to this song. There you go. But, um, <laughs> yeah, that's no, a great song. It's a great opening track. Oddly enough, it works really well as opening track. It's a great ten minute opening track. Yeah, uh, it's it's hard it not to be the, engaged in that song. It's it never gets the three boring. acts that it, the three acts that kind of moves you through are kind of the three different types of music you might get on the album. It's uh, yeah, it's good. Well, that right. brings us to track two. Tis a pity she was a whore. Let's hear a little bit about it. Man, she touched me like a dude. Hold your trumpets my lifeblood um all right tis a pity she's a whore this is a a bit more of an upbeat track it's a little bit i don't know if it's positive the 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 lyrics are i I, she punched me like a dude i I don't even (laughs) eric what does that mean i got you i got you on this one all right this song actually has nothing to do with the theme of the album this was actually a b-side to uh, Sue in the season of crime, the early version, the 2014 version with that band. Which, they is, actually, which is interesting because, which is interesting because I find this to be far superior. So it should be the A side. Right. So um, this, uh, yeah, this was recorded with um, that band for that. And then re-recorded with this band for the album. Yeah. Man, she punched me like a dude. What a great opening line. That, I, that's highly quotable. Highly quotable Bowie there. Um, really, this song is about, I mean, it's a very like, it's just like a love story. It's a soldier or a cop who has fallen in love with a prostitute. That's what the song's about. That's it. Um, that's all you got for us? I mean, that yeah. Once again, that's, that's, that's all it is. What, what's very interesting, though, is its connection to Sue in the Season of Crime. Because... When we get to that song, I'll tell you the story, what that song is about. 
Um, and what that song is about is a John Ford play called Tis a Pity She's a Whore. So anyways, there are some lit, uh, literal connections between the two songs, more than just being a B-side to a single. Interesting. Um, uh, it's funny. So the, the, uh, came, wasn't, wasn't this the first single off the album? No, Didn't no. Black Star, Black Star was the first single off the album. Uh, I, I feel like I heard this song before. the. I guess I heard that, that other version of it then somehow. Yeah, because that was out. That was out years before this came, this dropped, like two years before. Um, this version's much better. Um, I like I like both Black Star versions better than the original versions. They're more focused. They're more. Uh, they they got better drive to them. Uh, as a jazz, and I do like jazz music, but um, I like what they're doing with this more, where it's just like bare bones jazz as opposed to like a big piece orchestra. You know, it's uh, the uh, Pushing the Dame website actually connects this song to Mr. Self-Destruct. As far as it, okay. it starts uh, with a sonic barrage and then uh, the timber is, is similar. So I don't know. Mm. Apparently he was trying to connect. Uh, this guy's trying to connect what Bowie was trying to do on this song to, to his 90s, uh, his 90s uh, colleagues. But uh, anyways, I'll have, to, I'll, have to look, I'll have to lay those over. I'm not hearing that. This song, I'm not hearing that either. I, I just, it was just, an, uh, just, just to connect it to our season one. I just like that this writer saw Mr. Self Struck in the song. I don't yeah. either, but it's just a fun connection. I, I, I adore this song. Um, I, I just, I love the way it opens up with that, uh, with that snare drum. Yeah, the snare drum. Yeah. Right? And I, I really like the tone of that snare drum and um, it's just got a good drive to it. It kind of reminds me of the albums that I do. I, I'm a fan of uh, heathen and reality. It kind of opens up sounding like it could be off one of those albums, but then the horns take it into the black star direction. Right. So it's a, I, I, I think it's, yeah, I don't, the whole tis a pity. She's a whore. I find that to be a great title and I guess your description of it means about as much as anything would be for that. The, the, the song title. Um, what does it for me for this song is that the sat or I'm sorry, the, uh, the trombones really get going and it almost sounds like there's a point where it's like bugs and Daffy and uh, Roger rabbit on dueling <laughs> piano, yeah. but they're dueling trombones. Yeah. Uh, this- and I don't even know if there's more than one trombone on this. Um, I you and I mean trumpet. You bring up a great meant, a great point though. Like the the jazz back and forth in this song is top notch. Actually, I mean no, that's a trumpet, right? Uh, Eric, uh, considering uh, there is no brass <laughs> on this album, it was it's probably saxophone. But yeah, it's probably how can that be a saxophone? It does not sound like a saxophone. Because uh, he plays baritone sax- saxophone, which is like okay. low, low end sax. Well, that's why we have you here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> when I picture it, it sounds like a guy like on a trumpet. I know. Or a saxophone. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I <don't> know. <laughs> yeah, there's no brass. There's no brass on this album. No big old brass, unfortunately. Okay. Well, the, then the, the saxophone's going wild. Like at that, that there's that moment around like the, the three minute mark where it's, and it keeps getting a little bit higher and it's the most uplifting part of the album for me i love it 
Yeah. So, no, it's a good song. And then, you know, David just starts, uh, it closes with him like grunting. He just goes, Rah! it's very <laughs> interesting. Yeah. I don't know. What do you think, Mark? I think the song is fine. Uh, I'm not a huge fan. Um, it's uh, one of those songs that it does remind me of Bowie's later day works. I don't hate it. Um, it is uh, kind of forgettable. I feel like every time I've listened to the song, I keep looking for some sort of hook to reel me in. It's, I'm pretty happy that you guys are you know, able to, to find that hook. I'm still looking for it. I, I, I think the well, musicians are doing doing the heavy lifting on the song, but yeah, yeah. Um, well, that's what, like I was saying earlier, like when you picture this album was almost a lot of it was played live. A song like this comes across as a little bit more of an accomplishment, but um, that's also why this is a three man podcast because at least you know it's good to have a curmudgeon. So <laughs> counterpoint, I like it. I mean, it's, it's not bad. I mean, it's, it's a, it's a solid song, um, in the sense of, you know, a trying to do some art, you know, I, I don't think that if you're looking for any sort of commercial, um, way to, uh, access this album. Um, I mean, if you really like, you know, kind of the symphonic sound of of kind of art jazz uh then this is definitely i would say this is more commercial and mainstream than let's say john zorn or anything like that um but it's just it's fine it kind of washes right over me um i don't skip it but if i was to ever compile a list of great songs by david bowie this would not be one of mine it is the only song that does not fit into the theme of the album yeah, right. I mean, for me, uh, kind of having this sandwich between the first track and then the third track, uh, I I feel like okay, you gotta you know you gotta eat your broccoli before you get to the to the meat. So <laughs> it's right. fine. I, I I can actually say that I see where you, it doesn't fit the theme of the album, even though I do like it. You could probably take one of the songs off that no plan EP and plant them on here, right in this spot. Much of when we were talking about with teeth era B sides, you could kind of you know dump some tracks and then put ones in there that fit sure. better. So yeah, yeah. But I think like for pacing, I think it's a great track too. It just it just keeps you engaged. Like I I do really like the music in this, and I love the opening line. But for the most part, like I said, like the band's doing the heavy lifting on the song. So yeah, and it originally came out in um, 2014. Right. The B side, um, B side to Sue. Actually, Eric, I hate to discredit you which i'm not trying to do but it looks like tis a pity she was a whore and sue or a season of crime both were released on their own so it might have still been a b-side to sue or a season of crime but it came out on his own as well hmm. yeah i know it it was released as a single but okay all right sue in the season of crime with the uh maria schreider orchestra and tis a pity she was a whore both came out as singles on the uh, streaming services and the downloadables, but then they were released as a record together as well. So, all right. On the, on the original Bowie played the saxophone according to the internet. It, yep. It's actually true. Totally true. He actually, he's a, he's a sax. Yeah. He loves, he loves the sax. He started on the sax. He can play. He's a multi-instrumentalist. A lot of, a lot of the demos on his albums, he would just, he would put together a rough demo with every instrument played by him. Yeah. That, that kind of continued for quite a while. <laughs> so, 
All right. Let's all Let's grab a box of handkerchiefs and talk about the song Lazarus. All right. album uh this out this song is a, a home run it's a grand slam uh, it's a it's a uh it's a triple double i don't know what other sports it is it is amazing i mean and you know funny enough uh the very first time that i heard this song was not david bowie singing it, it was actually michael c hall playing it on the colbert report or colbert uh, version of the late show um it was they were uh, he was interviewed, and then they came back and they and they sang this song. And uh, you can find it on YouTube, and we'll have a link to it in the show notes. Um, Michael C. Hall is actually a pretty good singer, but he is absolutely just trying to um, do a kind of '70s era David Bowie impression. I think that's fair. Yeah, that's it's fair. fair. It's fine. He's he's fine. But then when I saw the video for this. Um, it like, yeah, it tore my heart out for crying out loud. I want to, I want to talk about that, that, that Colbert, uh, performance. I think it's, I think it's really good, but I think what I, what I'm very intrigued about was like, Bowie was still alive, but barely when they did like, you know what I mean? Like they were promoting an album, but he couldn't actually show up to promote it. So like the Lazarus play was happening. So he was there. And he right. played it, and it's and it's kind of special in that way, that particular one. And you know, when it was on, I was like, "Why isn't David Bowie here doing it?" You know, like because they spent the entire interview talking about the play and talking about how it was connected to the man who fell to Earth. Um, and I was just like, "Well, I guess maybe you know." I, to Eric's point earlier, you know, David Bowie was like, "You know, I'm a very private person now." I mean, I do albums secretly with the next day coming out, just kind of like, here it is. And then um, with the play being done, uh, I didn't even realize there was another record on the way. I thought it was just he was putting all of his energy into Lazarus, the play. Um, But uh, thank God cooler heads prevailed there. Yeah. And then, you know, uh, then the record came out and then he died two days later. And it was just uh, this video, I think, was released around that same time. And yeah, no, uh, that the Michael C. Hall performance, though, I just sorry, I keep coming back to that. It's just such a moment in time where he was still alive, but we kind of knew we didn't know what was happening. But like there's even like Christmas ornaments all over the set when he's singing that one. Like it's it was like like literally weeks away. 
But anyways, it's a special video. Go look it out. But yeah, the the video, the actual video for Lazarus is even more impactful. So let's talk a little bit more about the video before we dive into the song. Yeah. So that's also done by Johan Renk. And uh, this has two of the characters from Blackstar. You've got Button Eyes in bed looking kind of terrified about what's what's happening, which is death. And a few times he lifts off the bed and then drops back down and lifts off and drops back down. And then you have uh, the flashy public persona Bowie that comes out of a little closet, sits at a table with the, by the way, with the Major Tom skull on the table. I don't know if you noticed that. I didn't notice that. Yeah, the Major Tom skull is on the table and he's working frantically to finish some work. What could that possibly, it's obviously to finish Blackstar before things go dark. And he's working frantically. Meanwhile, behind him in the hospital bed, Button Eyes is looking at mortality. And, uh, and then uh, it all ends with the uh, public persona Bowie stepping back into the closet and shutting the door. It's a beautiful video. It's amazing. It's such a well-crafted goodbye. Yeah, you know, yeah. Um, I wouldn't have noticed that. And you're right. No, I... And the part where he's uh, frantically trying to finish something, there's more of that great pantomiming and acting that I love. Oh, yeah. He's just oh, like biting his like knuckles. He's writing, he's writing, <laughs> he stops, he thinks, yeah. okay, uh, shit, that, yeah, that'll work. And he keeps going. Yeah. It's uh, while he's singing, it's, you know, in the video, it's great. Um, and that striped suit you're talking about, this is something that I wouldn't have noticed on my own. Uh, if you flip over station to station, he's wearing that on the back of the album. That was what I said. It was based on that Crowley drawing, Tree of Life. Oh, okay. I heard the part yeah. of the drawing, but not yeah. the suit. Okay, yeah, yeah, great. yeah. Okay, yep. cool. Yeah. Yeah. That's, it's, a good, it's a great video. If it would have came out before he died, everybody would have been like, whoa. <laughs> you know, shit guy. But uh, yeah, it's very uh, sobering, if you will. Um, it's a good video. And it... The way he creeps out and creeps back into that little hutch, it's just, I don't know how to put it. It's, it's this man appeared in our world that told us all these stories and sung us all these songs. And then he just retreated. It's very, very good uh, symbolism there. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, the lyrics to the song, I think are really, really great. Um, there's a couple lines that really stick to me. Like I've got drama can't be stolen. Everybody knows me now. Like, like as we were saying, I mean, he per permeated over pop culture in a way. Very few people do like, uh, but he's got other things that he's keeping to himself. Yeah, no, I'll actually, I'll follow up on that later when we talk about the very last oh, song yeah. we talk about. That's what that song is all about, actually. Yes, exactly. He shares he shares everything with everyone, but he doesn't share everything, but he shares everything. Right. Does that make sense? Yeah. Kind of. Uh, and also, with this, I mean, I think he knew, you know, that uh, 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 Tony Visconti, like I was saying, he kind of waffles, not the right word, but <laughs> with how, how much of this was a goodbye album and, and when was it a goodbye album. And he said that, you know, the, the song and the lyrics and video of Lazarus are definitely like a self epitaph from uh, David talking about his death coming up. Yeah. So him, him saying that 
uh, what, what's the line, Eric? I've, I've got everybody knows me now, or what is it? I've got drama can't be stolen. Everybody knows me now. Everybody knows me now, but I can't give everything away is the last track in the album. Right. And somewhere in between there is like releasing this and then dying. just be free like the bluebird i'll just be free ain't that just like me and like i do feel like when i was explaining this album to people that maybe kind of knew bowie i was be like it's so bowie to have like a perfectly crafted farewell album like ain't that just like him you know yeah that's that's true yeah you know, he's if man, the guy was self-aware right so yeah um, two things I wanted to call out. I'm, yeah. uh, is, I'm, unless you're going to talk about this, but the two all stars besides David Bowie on this track is the guitar player, mm-hmm. um, Ben Monder, and of course the saxophone oh. Donnie McCaslin. Oh, those uh, two parts, man. Whew, oh yeah, well so the, good. The, the, the guitar the just does like a bam, bam, bam that like sets up the drive for the whole song. Yeah, yeah, it comes the guitar ring. You know, it, it it starts out with like the strumming, and a really just a, a bass line that kind of isn't too intrusive, and then every once in a while there's this burn the guitar strum, exactly electric, electric blast, and then the saxophone solo at the end. And is it you know I'm the resident Bruce Springsteen in the E Street Band fan on the uh, the show, and like I love myself a good sax solo. I, I that's what I that's what I usually sign up for, and I stay through the credits for. <laughs> Yeah. And my God, the, the last like minute of this song, he's just laying in there and giving it his all. Uh, it's oh. amazing. Yeah. And that's like, it's like if there if, is a heaven, it's like death and, and rising to something. That's what that sax solo does. That's the purpose yeah. of that's in the song. It's amazing. No, that's very good. No, the, the fact the song is about death and going to the next plane well, a good sax solo takes you from one place to the next, like you wouldn't believe. Right. So, yeah, uh, it's, it's it's a great track. It's 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 just so. It's a forlorn track. <clears throat> it's got. It's it has a pace to it that doesn't jerk you around too much, but still, it it slowly gets bigger and bigger and bigger, and then it retreats. And it's uh, like on the video and also audibly, it's uh, right. it's a good song. Part of me wishes this was the closing track, but. I'm okay that it's not. So no, I mean, the closing track's perfect. So. All right. Yep. 
It's a good track. And uh, yeah, no, it's uh, I, I, my, my cousin, um, my cousin, Michael, he lives in California. He and I couldn't be any more different in a lot of ways, but like the shit we like, we both love, like we're both big Star Trek nerds and we're both big David Bowie nerds. And we like, you know, I don't know. We both love the Kings. I don't know. But whenever we talk about David Bowie, it's always a great time. And this album, he, he and his wife have dissected this album incredibly. And this song right here, like, he's not a very emotional dude. I don't think, I don't know. But, uh, I feel like even this song gets to him. Like even the hardest motherfucker, this song's going to get to you. Right. So. Uh, one thing I want to just have a little seed I want to plant for later. The whole, by the time I got to New York, that's going to basically that he's setting the seed for dollar days, which we'll get to in a, in a little bit later. So interesting. I thought he was just saying he moved to New York and lived there for the last 20 years of his life. No, he was. When I, it could be, it could be, it could be two when I talk about dollar days, it'll make sense. Okay. Next we have Sue. So this is the song that started it all. Um, he wrote this for a big orchestra and they dialed it down for this. And I think it is much better dialed down. Um, there's a kind of drive to the song, which I really like. And then it goes into some really cool shredding places. Um, this song is a, as far as storytelling goes, it's, one of the one of the best on the album, I think lyrically. It's a song about um, a couple, and uh, it's a very weird situation where uh, uh, you know, husband wife. He's like, I got the job. I'm going to buy the house, um, and the wife says, you know, but I want to die a virgin. And then uh, the husband finds out she's cheating on him. And uh, he does an unspeakable act. It's a very dark song. It's very like Nick Cave almost song, uh, lyrically. Um, I could see that. Like, yeah. Uh, and uh, it's it's just it's not one of my favorite songs in this album, but I do think the storytelling and the way it slowly reveals more. It's a very good mystery. It's a very good murder mystery in the lyrics um, and the music itself. I think I, how they improved on that big ass jazz orchestra to a very small group group of like four to five players. I think they, they do a great job. I think it's a fun song. So that's, that's what I'm going to say. Oh, Oh, um, Oh, wait, wait, wait. Sorry. Important note. Somewhere in this song is a sample of brand new heavy by plastic soul, which is a, like a very strange, like ambient drum and bass group. I don't know where it is, but I assume it's when the drums start going nuts at some point. 
they just play this underneath it to add a little bit more. Anyways, so it's the only song that has a sample in this album. So there you go. Um, so for me, this song doesn't really go anywhere musically um, until kind of the very end when it starts to get a little, uh, instead of repetitive, uh, it uh, breaks into a drum and bass um, that would fit perfectly on uh, albums such as Earthling. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, it, it kicks into overdrive with that bum 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 but right. like you said, Mark, it takes, it takes too long to get there. It takes too long to get there. And, um, <laughs> you know, being a pretty, I would consider myself a really big fan of James Murphy. I like the uh, LCD sound system stuff, and I even like some of his, the DFA stuff um, where he does a lot of remixes. And so, um, you know, electronic music, uh, you know, I'm fully open-minded with that genre but with uh this it just it feels dated um lyrically i uh without having the lyrics in front of me i didn't realize what we were actually talking about until um eric kind of opened that up for me so i mean maybe on future re-listens it'll open up some new doors for me but um going through it a couple times in preparation for this episode um, it was just one of those, okay, good song, uh, you know, but what's next? You know, that's kind of my, my, my feeling on, on some of these songs. I don't hate anything here. It's just one of those, okay, let's, you know, what else you got? You know, that kind of thing. So um, the, uh, James Murphy connection, he actually, he and Bowie became good friends in the last few years. And, um, well, yeah, the, Eric, I got, I'm going to, I'm going to pull a Steve and cut you off. He um he produced that Arcade Fire album Reflector, right? Yep. Yeah. In that amazing opening track. Amazing. The title track has David Bowie and backup vocals at the very end of it. Yeah. Um, oh yeah. So I'm bringing good. that up because why not do a special episode on that? All right, keep going. <laughs> Anyways, uh initially Bowie wanted James Murphy to produce this entire album. And like there's a great interview with James Murphy where he's like, at some point I realized like I don't have the balls to be that guy in the room. That's like, no, that sucks. David Bowie. We're going to record that. Like he couldn't do that. Like, so he realized he was kind of out of his league. So yeah, he just plays percussion and he actually did some sound engineering on this in the next song. And that's kind of it. But anyways, just things kind of Yeah, the the original version, uh, you can find a video of it, which just a, uh, it's just a lyric video. It, it looks like the the CGI from the original Sin City, with lyrics blasted on the the the, the cityscapes, and the occasional right. photo yeah. of David Bowie singing. And um, it's a lot emptier, like the uh, at least on the album version, they stick that guitar riff over. Yeah, I, I like the album version much better than the original. And, and the end of the song has like that freak out where there's like sit like there's 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 some synth squalls in the background oh, yeah. and yeah it does it doesn't do much for me but they they do they do class it up a bit for the uh, the album one thing i think is cool is that the uh bass player and the drummer from this band 
like one of the things they do is they actually do little shows together where they just do drum and bass, like organic drum and bass. And so like Bowie let him go crazy on this song, which I think is kind of cool. So anyways. Well, that's about all we've got to say about that. The best thing about that song is the, uh, the name of the song. So, <laughs> All right. So that brings us to uh, Girl Loves Me. So that was Girl Loves Me. And I would like to introduce our research assistant, Lennox Anderson. And let's start off with a little word from him in regards to this song. <laughs> I would say that I'd give this album four out of five bolts for Black Star. And I'd probably say, like, for example, probably the worst song on this album is Girl Loves Me. It basically makes no sense and it's made in another language that. He says that barely anyone could understand that. And then I'd probably say the best song is Black Star because it has a, it's basically a long song. It, what is it? Yeah, it is a long song. And I really like the song and it has a, um, this very long story that can make sense. It probably has the longest story in this whole album. And I think no plan, I'd probably just give it two out of five bolts. And I'd say that I wasn't a big fan of When I Met You, but I think No Plan and Trying to Kill a Little Time were good songs. And this album was probably the saddest thought, but even though he said many happy things in his album about when he was dying. All right, Lennox's dad. Eric, what do you have to say? (laughs) This song is kind of crazy because it's got some of the best music on this album. It's such a cool mysterious uh jazz track in the background i really like the music the lyrics don't make any sense and there's a point he's stealing from the language that was created for clockwork orange and also um this this language called polari which is like gay code um and he kind of combined the two to make these verses that make no sense um uh Essentially, somewhere in the songs, you've got talks about drag queens, police. Uh, you've got gangs going wild, um, drugs, uh, an old man on the take, screwing in the street. It's it's all over the place. It's a, it's a good Friday night, if you ask right. me. It's a it, I've it's been interpreted as a sequel to the the great song off next day called Dirty Boys which is a saxophone heavy song, which is fantastic. Uh, anyways, this song's nuts. Um, <laughs> apparently later in his life, Bowie was a huge fan of Peaky Blinders. <laughs> so this could, boy. this could be a reference to, uh, to some of the gang language from that, from that era. Uh, let's, let's take it. Let's put a pin in it for a second. <laughs> that makes his death even more tragic because he's never going to know what happens in the end of Peaky Blinders. And Mark, can you fill us in and how Peaky Blinders has affected your life recently? 
so Jen consumed that episode as if it was a shark going through a uh, herd of seals. Uh, <laughs> she, she the whole show, right? The, the whole the whole run? thing. She's yeah, completely up to date. In fact, they used uh, Lazarus and I think some of the songs from David Bowie in uh, one of the later seasons is what she yeah, was telling they, me. They definitely did. Yeah. Um, I haven't watched it for over a year now. I will when it comes back, but I love that I've been pushing it on you guys. And Jen just said, "Ah, nope, I'll watch it all." Right? So, yeah, that, make, that makes me happy. There's, yeah. Uh, uh, but go ahead, go ahead, Eric. I was just gonna say there's a couple cool curiosities in the song. Um, first of all, the only thing that breaks from this weird language, because yeah, the lyrics make no sense. But where the fuck did Monday go? Well, if you know you're dying yeah. and like suddenly the days start going fast, like that's not a good sign. So I think that's like this one bitterly honest moment in the song. The rest is ridiculous, but I love, I mean, how could you not love his delivery of that line? It's like classic, really good quotable Bowie. Uh, no, that it, it's a, it's a kind of a nonsense song. I mean, there's got those parts where it goes, you know, uh, Chi Chi, China, la la. It's you know yeah. whatever's going on there. But like, I do really appreciate the plotting drum beat that kind of goes throughout the entire song. I like it. I like it when a song sticks to uh, like one beat for the majority of it. Even when it drops out and there is no drum beat, when it comes back in, it's that same persistent skittering drum yeah. beat. Um, yeah, like, it, and if you listen really closely, I'm like uh, about about one minute and twenty nine seconds in, the drumming stops. And there's a like a running synth in the background. If you listen closely, that sounds just like it's out of the uh, the social network. Mm. Um, and it, it kind of it, it kind of remains for the remainder of the track. Yeah, there's a there's a drone going on. That could be yeah. related to James Murphy's work. This one, he had the most to do with the recording of it. Um, I'm actually looking at this up, uh, uh, the uh, Push Push the Dame website, and I love this this quote here. When they Bowie and James Murphy first met in the studio for Arcade Fire's Reflector, and uh, Murphy said, "You know, I'm an enormous fan of your work because I steal from you liberally," and Bowie said. <laughs> You can't steal from a thief, darling. <laughs> it's amazing. That cat. It's amazing. Yeah. Uh, there's a good, there's, there's a great drum freak out during the last like yeah. 20 seconds too, that I like. It's, it's, it's not like it's, it's not top tier, but it's not right. bad. Um, if it wasn't so the, the, the use of the language doesn't bother me, but it also makes me not want to listen to it. Yeah. It's, like, it's, it's kind of frustrating. Yeah. Uh, one thing that's kind of cool. One thing that's really cool is the chestnut tree that he keeps singing about. That is the name of the bar from the Orwell book, 1984. Anyways. Oh, which yes. Talk about when we talk about diamond. <laughs> that's <dogs>. right. <laughs> but um, I do uh, part of the, 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 uh, the, when you open up the, the, the book of Stephen Mark, uh, the clockwork orange was one of our first uh, movies. We decided to watch that. We were, I mean, what, or 16. So you, you shouldn't be watching Clockwork Orange. You're not too young where it's going to break your mind, but still. So, yeah. That also 
Uh, whenever I think of that movie, I think of the, being a teenager. And I also think about what do we got? Like uh, three years until we're going to invite uh, Eric's kid over to watch it. I think or... <laughs> let's do it. I mean, I won't let him watch the last 30 seconds. I'm not terrible, but you and know. he's got his Kubrick initiation. He's watched the shining. So Jiminy Christmas. <laughs> no wonder the kids, the way he is. Well, <laughs> I, that sounded worse than it was supposed to. That's supposed to be a joke. <laughs> we can talk about that off, off mic. <laughs> All right. Um, so that's that crazy song. Well, do we even Mark? I don't think Mark really told us how it feels. About oh yeah. He did not. Um, yeah. I, uh, musically, I think the song is uh, pretty top notch. Um, it's uh, very interesting. It has more of a groove that I can uh, get aligned with. Um, the nonsense lyrics, uh, the NADSAT language, if you will. Um, when I first heard it, I was like, this all sounds very familiar. And then once I read the lyrics, I was like, this is from, cause I actually read the book clockwork orange by Anthony Burgess. Um, and, uh, in the back of the book, there is a glossary. Um, I mean, this song is bonkers, but in the same sense of some of the narrative, uh, songs from outside is bonkers. Sure. So I think this easily could fit on that record. Sure. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, some of it's ridiculous, but some of, I mean, a lot of it is never not interesting as I've said before. Um, but this one, it actually has a groove that I can, that appeals to me. Um, I, I like this song. I think it's a good song and lyrically it's uh, it's kind of fun to try to, ascertain what was being said in the slang language don't know why the choice was made to use slang and a made-up language but hey man it's your last record you do what you want (laughs) uh steve uh, i i saw a connection from the language in this to uh frank miller's dark knight returns because all the gangsters and that like all the little gang members and that use a weird clockwork orange language also they do that's great Sorry, guys. <laughs> no, they, uh, yeah, yeah. I think it makes it this. It makes the song fun and a little ridiculous, and maybe it drops it a little low because of that. But I, I think it's a fun song, and I think the music is no, top notch. And to put a pin in it, yes, uh, to bring it back to the Dark Knight Returns and David Bowie. David Bowie did not shib. So no, he did not shib. Never, never. All right, so the next track is a little ditty called uh, Dollar Days. So let's listen to that for a minute. Cash girl, suffer me. I've got no enemies. I'm walking down. It's nothing to me. It's nothing to see. If I never see the English evergreens I'm running to. All right, we're good, Steve. No, you're not. <laughs> you don't tell me when you're good. <laughs> okay. Fair enough. There's a lot going on in that song, asshole. Yep, there is. Take it all in. Dollar Days. Um, 
it and the and the closing track are my one-two punch for my favorites on the album. They, uh, oh, yeah, no, I, I, they actually. If you listen to the end of Dollar Days, it goes right into "I Can't Give Everything Away." And uh, Tony Visconti, he he mixed them that way on purpose. Yeah, uh, they they were they were kind of recorded almost as one <clears throat> song. He had to split them into two, which which is funny because Black Star was two songs combined into one, and then the last two tracks on the album were the two songs that he, he had to get away from each other and split into two. So. Okay. Dollar days is a, um, I actually look at this song as like his last, like dipping his toes in nostalgia. I feel like the song is all about like kind of his heyday. It, there is a very Ziggy, uh, early Bowie kind of feel to the song. The sax hits you enough times to remind you, no, we're listening to modern Bowie. But I feel like the lyrics, the way it's written, I feel like it's very much a throwback. Um, and it's 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 reminiscent in a good way. Uh, it's a cool song. That's, that's what I got. Uh, for me, it, it, I agree with what Stephen was saying about it being a one-two punch to end the record and end basically his uh, studio album career. Um, but I would say that this is a more focused um, and uh, accessible version of how to rightly incorporate jazz into Bowie's sound. Um I know that you both uh, really enjoyed uh, track two. Tis a pity she was a whore, uh, but I, I find music that's a little more. I don't know. Uh, I I don't mind challenging music, but I do appreciate um, a sense of melody and a sense of direction and focus when it comes to songwriting. And I yeah, think- I feel like I feel like Mark likes things to be uh, left in the oven for a little longer to be to to taste uh, more sensible. Yeah, I mean, I I do appreciate the uh, the process of experimentation, um, but I do think when you release something, um, you want it to have some sort of voice that you don't have to really scatter through the uh, the chicken bones to find the message and the meaning. Uh, I don't feel I think this one really literally tells the listener that I'm dying as well. Because, I mean, I'm trying to, I'm dying to. It's a really clever way to, you know, say I'm trying to do something, I'm dying to do something. But you're also saying, I'm, hey, asshole, I'm dying as well, you know? Yeah. No, um, yeah. Can't really telegraph that more. Yeah, no, you're, you're absolutely right. Like, my favorite lyrical segment is like, if I never see the English evergreens that I'm running to, it's nothing to me. I'm dying to. Um, don't believe for a second that I'm forgetting you. I'm trying to, I'm dying to, and then later I'm dying too. So like, it's got two things. It's like the future, these hopes for the future, he's got to give up. And this nostalgia for the past, he's got to give up because in the present he's dying. And that's like amazing. I, I, I think this song, this song is absolutely amazing. No, it's, it's a great song. Um, it opens up very pretty. Just that the piano and the sax kind of flirting with each other, and um, it's a really full song. Like it, it, it has, like a lot of this album has parts where there's just guitar and drum, or just saxophone and bass. 
I feel like everything comes together really well in this song. It's like a fully rounded band. Um, and just that, that there, there's the, there's that sax solo, another great sax solo where it just, just, it starts soaring. And while that sax solo in towards the end of the song is uh, rising, you've got the guitar in the background just going bong, 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 bong. Yeah. It's a, uh, it's really great. Uh, it's a it's a great great track. What I wrote about the music was like the way he's delivering the lyrics, the way he's singing, and the guitar work meets the the saxophony stuff. It's like if Ziggy Stardust fucked Young Americans. Like that's I could see that. That's where this song goes for me. When the saxophone's going wild at the end, it reminds me of a uh, Diamond Dogs. Yeah, um, not Diamond Dogs. The song, but Diamond the album. Dogs. Yeah. But that yeah, era. yeah, yeah. Towards the towards the end, exper- like you know, whenever what's that last track? The the ritual of the chuds or something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So no, it's it's a great track. I really really like it, and and that's one that really stood out to me from the the re-listen for the podcast. It made me think, oh, this is a, a keystone. So yeah, I dig it, and it yeah, it it it, it builds up. He's singing about dying too with uh, some creative wordplay. And then it kind of it simmers down and starts skittering, right? And it goes right into I can't give everything away. Yep. So there's our final track on the album, and it really is his goodbye. As, as, as perfect as Lazarus was, he had more to say about going away. Um, this song starts with an electronic like breakbeat, and then you hear a little harmonica come in. And what harmonica is that? Why, it's the harmonica solo from A New Career in a New Town. Now, is that, and, and yes, obviously when you hear it, you're like, oh, that sounds exactly the same. Is it a sample or is it just played the well, same? Well, he's credited for harmonica. So it's either crediting and his played. like 1979 or whatever year that was <laughs> performance of that or as a sample, or he's actually just recreating it. I, I, that I don't know. No, I, I think I, I, I'd imagine, it doesn't sound exactly the same to me. It doesn't. Okay. But it definitely is the same right. melody. Right. And uh, when Mark and I went and saw Area One, the Bowie, or no, I'm sorry, the Moby Festival, the Bowie played, um, they played New Career in a New Town. 
And I got to say, like, that really that that really nailed a hand like uh, somebody took a hammer and just nailed into me. Oh, you're you're a huge David Bowie fan now. Like seeing that show, the performance overall was good. But just the performance of that song just just kicked me in my ass. Mark, do you remember when they played that track? I do. I do. Uh, it was, I think, towards the beginning. I know he came out and uh, opened with Life on Mars, but it was definitely towards the end, uh, the beginning part of his set list. We'll have to go back and revisit that set list. But yeah, no, I, I remember it very vividly. It was great. Yeah. No, that's, a, that's a great song, and so is this. So, Eric, keep going. Yeah, no, sorry. you're just, good. It's so cool to call back to like, that specific moment, such an awesome moment to call back to. Yeah. I mean, you could, you could go back to, to space oddity again or ashes to ashes or no, that song uh, is special. I, I actually remember, I, I, I remember that. weirdly like interviewing for a new, my new job and getting in my car and turning it on. And that song was just the next shuffle song on my, <laughs> Eric, that, that well, is, that, I mean the whole, uh, I, you know, theme of, even though it's largely, I think it's, it's, just completely instrumental if memory serves right there's no vocals or lyrics right it is instrumental which makes me like it even more yeah Yeah. Uh, but you know it definitely gives that sense of moving on there's like a next chapter of your life that's about to begin and it's interesting that this is probably you know this is his last song i don't know what uh, order the these things were recorded in but certainly it was sequenced with it being the final track um but you could absolutely argue that it's a he's moving on to now another chapter, right? You know exactly, no, yeah. totally. And it it sounds like that. It's upbeat. It's not as dour as Lazarus, which in my head was it's, yeah, it's a good not, ending. A song, but, it's, but it makes more sense that this is the ending. There's a sense of acceptance, to right? It. And what I love about it is like. I know something is very wrong. The Pulse Returns, The Prodigal Sons, The Blackout Hearts, The Flowered News, uh, School Designs on My Shoes. I mean, that's just like some random artsy stuff. But then as he gets more into it, seeing more and feeling less, saying no but meaning yes, this is all I ever meant. That's the message that I sent. Is that like, he's not going to give you, like, he's still a persona. And he's dying knowing who he is. And maybe we will never know that, and that's okay. And it's just that it's a very meta song, which I really appreciate. You know, that line, seeing more and feeling less, saying no but meaning yes, I'm not dying that I know of. Well, every day we're closer to death, but there are days where, like, saying no but meaning yes, just I feel like that in all the just begrudging aspects of my life. I don't know if that's what he means, but I love the way that that wordplay sounds. Yeah. Yeah. So it's a, it's a, yeah, it's a good song. No, it's a great song. Yeah. It just starts out with these, like, some lush synths, almost like low era synths. Now I think about it. And then they have that, that harmonica layered over it. And there's like a, a pretty just steady drum beat. That's uh, just moving forward, propelling you. It's, 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 it, it may, it's, 
It would be a good song to put on if you're just enjoying a nice spring day. I don't know. It's good. It's a great song. So it's, it's talking about dying, but it doesn't make you feel bad about it. You know what know? this? Uh, it's it's interesting about this particular song. Um, it's uh, pretty sad lyrics, but it also has the sound of acceptance. He's he's yeah. completely accepting his fate, and um, you know, listening to uh, when we saw Nine Inch Nails perform back in December, and they performed this, uh, the arrangement style was very different. So I've got I've got something on I've got something on that. Let's hear it. Yeah. So this actually ties to our first season, but um, uh, Trent Reznor reworked this song and called it the farewell mix and uploaded it anonymously to SoundCloud. And it's wait a minute. Hold on, Eric. Let's listen to it right now. Let's do it. Let's put it on. Okay, that's it. And, uh, yeah, it's very simple. It's got some like uh, floating synth hits, and it's got Bowie's lyrics, and it does not have the drive of the final version. But what's very, no, it's very, it's very, it's very, very mu- much more just sad. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, Reznor has said in interviews that he did that remix to cope with Bowie's death because they were very close or at least Reznor felt very close to him with their work together. And then when they played this song live, they Reznor actually just played the remix and sang over it. And then obviously his musicians like played along with it a little bit, but um, uh, it's a, it's a really cool version and I would, you know, uh, implore you to seek it out. Yeah, then they, they played it when I saw them at Aftershock. And I think a lot of those meatheads didn't know what was going on, but they loved it. Um, <laughs> and they saw, we saw them together. Yeah. And um, that's a great track. It calls back to the low era, I think. It calls back. It's like if you take a low song and a heathen song and smash them together. That's kind of what you get. Sure. Um, because heathen always reminds me of like airy positivity. I don't know. We'll talk about that one day. Um, but one thing I do like about it, too. Is it the very end of it? Uh, who's the guitar player on this album, Eric? That is uh, Mr. Ben Maunder. Yeah, he's doing some noodling and some riffing that sounds very Robert Frippish at the very end right. of the song. Yeah. And I, I feel like it's totally, it might not be intentional, but it reminds you of the low era. So yeah. it's a, I really dig it. It's a great, it's a great song. Absolutely. The great, great, great way to close the album. Great way to maybe close a career, even though the No Plan EP, who knows when these songs came out that we'll talk about in a second. Yeah. But yeah, it's 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 awesome. So what do you guys uh rank that album? Mark, you go first. So we're instead of using uh nine nails, are we how many bolts of lightning are we given this uh like what are we talking five? Like Yeah, uh, out of five. Th- yeah. So I'll just start. I'm as a, five for five for five years. There you go. I think that's fair, and I and, and I will just go ahead and say this album is five out of five. Um, 
and maybe starting strong, but I think he knew how he wanted to go out. And I think he almost perfectly uh, executed that. So I give it five out of five bolts. Um, I give this one a 4.5 out of five bolts. Um, I think it's one of his uh, best ladder works or later day works. Um, it's uh, he closed his career strong with this studio record. Um, it's got a little bit of everything. It is uh, a very anti rock album in that sense. Um, sometimes some songs kind of skew more towards uh, kind of adult contemporary in terms of how high the mix is for his vocals. Um, and you know, like I had mentioned, I'm not a huge experimental avant-garde jazz person. I think the performances from the musicians are all top notch. Um, I think my brain is just not sophisticated enough to take (laughs) in. And then, you know, it's just a failing of mine. You know, I, I look for hooks and I look for things, um, that, uh, that, you know, are peanut butter on my brain. And I, there's only, you know, a handful of tracks on this record that really do it for me. I think this album is really driven by more emotion, um, than, uh, than melody. And I would feel that it would have been interesting if this wasn't his last record, but I think that it's, I don't think this could have been written if it wasn't his last record, if that makes any sense. It makes it. What's your favorite song on it, Mark? Uh, so my favorite song on here would be Lazarus. That's the one I always go to. Um, I think it's uh, and, and just a just a, a an achievement. I I would put that in Bowie's you know top songs of all time. It's uh, it's a fantastic song. Hits a lot of parts. I know it's kind of obvious because it's probably the most accessible song off the whole record. Uh, but there I go again. You know I'm I'm Mister Popularity. Um, yeah, but, Mark, yeah. do that. I got I got to say though. As I've gotten older, you no, know, that doesn't mean that your brain's not wired correctly. It just means that, I mean, Jesus Christ, we only have so many minutes on the planet Earth, and I, I don't have a lot of time for sitting down and trying to like add fucking uh, geometry equations in order to figure out why I like a song. And so I can't fault you for that at all. Yeah, I mean, yeah, my, my God, like I, I used to have a stack of noise albums as tall as my son. And I look back and I'm like, why, what was the point? You know, <laughs> what is really the point of that? Yeah. Uh, I, I do like, there is a podcast out there that just reviews Mersbau albums. And I felt like I made jokes about that on our podcast and it actually exists now. <laughs> so. Some for everybody. Uh, yeah. Mark, I, more power Mark I think your favorite song is a good choice. I was debating between Lazarus and black star but I, I'm going to ultimately end with Black Star. I just love digging into that song. Um, but Lazarus is an amazing choice. So, yeah. I'll, uh, I'll give this album a 4.5 bolts, um, mainly because that damn Sue in a Season of Crime song. <laughs> but also, like Mark said, it's hard to decipher what the quality of the music is versus the emotion. Uh, and also, I know it's not my favorite David Bowie album and there's going to be a couple of fives later on. So that I like All more right. than this one, but it doesn't matter. Uh, this is, it's a great record. It's a great final record. Uh, my fi- my favorite track on it is probably the last one, but my favorite moment on it 
is that Trump or trumpet, Jesus Christ again, the saxophone uh, on the uh, Mark's least favorite song. Tis a pity she's a whore. That one moment of the rising sax action towards the end sure. is my favorite moment on the whole album. Yeah. No, I dig it. And uh, it's, it's a great record. And I, one thing I wanted to, to actually point out though, is when we talked about bad witch a lot, we kept bringing up how it was informed by this album. And while I kind of see maybe some vocal ticks, this doesn't sound like bad, bad witch. And this don't sound like at all. Yeah, that's fair. There, there's Just the use of saxophone yeah, and maybe being a little I, more yeah, experimental, but that's it. it. <laughs> yeah, they live in the same planet, but that's it. Right. Fair enough. All right. Well, you know, this would be the end, except uh, not a year after I, this. Actually, actually, before you move on, can I move, bring up one yeah. more thing? We should have mentioned that the song Black Star is the theme song for a show called the last Panthers. Right. That that's true, which I don't have that's it. watched and don't know what it is. Some British show that John hurts. in. Oh, well, John hurt was in RIP. That's yeah. true. Uh, so, so this would have been the end, but he had a, recorded a few of the original songs that he wrote for the Lazarus stage production. And they squeezed him together with the song Lazarus on a four track EP called no plan. And try as we might, every song is worth talking about. So we're going to keep going. Yeah, no, we're not. We, we can't shortchange no, this one. No. So the, uh, no plan starts with the song Lazarus, which we've talked about. So we'll skip that. And track two is the title track called no plan. This EP is still done with his same group of musicians from Blackstar. Actually, any of these songs, you could probably make a case for them squeezing into Blackstar somewhere. Um, you could, but when did this EP come see, out? Uh, it came out in 2017, so it came out the next year. It came out about a year after he died, almost right, to like the month, right, right. I think. Um, and this song had a video. It's a cool vi- music video where a bunch of people gather on the street and watch through a window a bunch of TVs playing some Bowie, some current events, some rockets blasting into space and some lyrics from the song. Um, and uh, yeah, no plan. Um, this song is the, this whole EP has a theme and that's Bowie trying to find peace, trying to find like a moment of peace between his persona and old button eyes, the guy that's dying. And uh, there's some great lyrics here, like, there's no music here. I'm lost in streams of sound. Here, I'm nowhere now. No plan. Uh, Here's my place without a plan. Uh, Just kind of like, it just makes me think of the Lazarus video 
where his persona character is scribbling crazy plans all over this desk and he just wants a moment of peace and i feel like that comes up a lot on this this little ep this song's cool it's 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 laid back it fits perfectly on black star um it's not my favorite song on the ep but it's uh it's cool it's less jazzy but also less engaging than most songs on black star yeah no, the, the title track of the cp is basically it's like black star by way of hours it's a little too laid back for sure. me um i really think the his his vocal performance is good but the music behind it's just kind of a snooze it is fest. it is um the, the two songs that follow it just knock it out of the park so it, it can be forgiven sure. Yeah, it's true. I, I think that's fair. I like it's, it. it's hours. It's like, hey, remember I made that song that was called that was also called uh, "How to Go to Sleep Listening to Bowie" called "Hours." Yeah, yeah. Here's the... Exactly. It's a call back to that. Yeah. Uh, this does have like the chorus is very engaging. It, it, he kind of soars. No I mean, plan. The guy can. The guy. The guy. The guy can belt out a, a chorus. So I appreciate that. Um, but yeah, no, I, I feel like I'm just killing time until the next two tracks. <laughs> Mark, you got anything? I mean, I would say the same, like just when we listened to that little clip, it reminded me of that Simpsons clip where Homer Simpson was exhausted and uh, he's driving home and his uh, car turns into a bed and the moon, (laughs) you know, tucks him in and winks at him. And then he ends (laughs) up like, you know, crashing into a billboard. (laughs) That's exactly what I think that song is. Fair enough. We can move on. Fair enough. (laughs) Get, 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 Get used to that sound when we finally talk about hours. Oh, yeah. The next track is called Killing a Little Time and it it, it kicks things up. Oh yeah, let's hear it. So, Killing a Little Time. This might be, I find it funny, it's the second to last track of uh, new music from David Bowie for now. Who knows? Maybe there's something else in the vault. But after that snooze fest that was no plan, they come in with one of the most rocking, dare I say, if you gave this song one more guitar like overlay, it could be a metal song. Yeah. It's, uh, <laughs> it kicks you in the teeth. It says hello, and then uh, I'm coming inside and doing what I want. It's a, it's a very track. cool song. Um, yeah, guitar wise, it could be like it's even harder than anything on like Reality, which is a guitar based album. Um, and this is like I guess it wouldn't really fit on Black Star. Oh, so I can that, that riff that like down 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 down. I mean that's a it's a hard yeah, riff. It's a rocker. Yeah, it doesn't really, I can see why maybe it was cut from black star because it's not a guitar forward album. Well, let's, let's, let's take it. Let's, let's pause for yeah. a minute. Where were these songs recorded in relation to black star parallel? I mean, 
So he, this, and these three songs in Lazarus were new songs that he wanted to be in the Lazarus play. And so as they were recording, they decided which songs from the play they actually wanted to be on Black Star, the album. And Lazarus made the cut and these three did not. But it's still the same crew of people. So this one, I could see why this one didn't make it. The last track, this is too hard. The last track's too dull. The next one I feel like should have been on Black Star, but we'll get to it in a second. Um, No, I love this song. I feel like it speaks very much to my sensibilities. Anything that makes me go uh, even more deaf than I already am, I appreciate. It's a rocker. It's a driver. Um, I, 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 I didn't know this EP existed until about two weeks ago. I, I think maybe I read that it was released and I forgot about right. it. And I had a really good time getting familiar with these uh, two of these songs. And this one, I just uh, I, I fell in love with this track. Uh, to me, this reminds me of the you look through the the stages of grief, and usually that applies to people that are dealing with somebody dying. But he was very aware that he was dying, and this is the anger stage. <laughs> I'm I'm that. falling, man. I'm choking, man. I'm fading, man. Um, yeah. uh, anyways, I, I I love it and just killing a little time. The sympathy, get away from me. Like he just wants peace and quiet for a little bit. Even that bass line, that boom, 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 boom. It's so in your face. Yeah. I, I I love it. Um, Mark, how do you feel? How do you feel right now? Um, lyrically, I uh, think he did a very great job of expressing that anger about the situation that he was in. Uh, it runs an absolute counterpoint to the acceptance of dollar days and can't give everything away. Um, I musically though. Um, okay. So to give you guys, the listeners a little peek behind the curtain, um, you know, Eric and Steve were writing on the text thread about how amazing this song hits. And, you know, I listened to it about three times trying to figure out, but why do why do they think that? Why are, <laughs> where is it hitting? Um, because you know, like yes, it definitely is a punchy song and musically and lyrically. But I I didn't really find anything that really interesting about the song. I was like, it's a good song, but but nothing really makes it stand out for me. Um, I, I wouldn't say anything special about it. I do just like the. I guess I just like the aggression because I didn't expect yeah, it. Yeah, it's very aggressive for Bowie. I would not consider Bowie an aggressive songwriter. So, No, I agree with that. I do. Um, I mean, he, he never mean, comes off as angsty. Good. He never comes off yeah. as angsty and just get the fuck out of my face. He's always like, well, let me just deal with this situation and you know, we'll make the most of it. Right. Or he's like, let me do a show for you and come to my face. You know, so... Yeah. That's good. That's good. You know, if this wasn't David Bowie, would I like the song as much? I can't answer that question, but it's worth thinking about. Um, It might, since it's unexpected, it might make me appreciate it more. Yeah. I mean, he's definitely pitching from a gear that we didn't know that he had in him. Um, And uh, I do like the vulnerability of this whole cycle of songs that he, he came out with. Um, And you're right. He was definitely going through, 
the the dabda phase you know uh denial anger bargaining uh and i don't know what the other ones are acceptance yeah acceptance but there's one more thing i think in there but anyhow sure um that's not what they came here for. <laughs> that's not what they came here for um but anyhow uh it's it's not a bad song it's a fine song um but like you guys were over the moon for it and i was like huh okay i guess i'm alone on that one too <laughs> it's a good song i mean but like you guys were like oh my god this thing you should be on ringtones and i was like, <laughs> <laughs> i am due to re-up um you can't have Black Sabbath's Heaven and Hell be a ringtone for more than seven years. So now here we go. <laughs> um, all right. Well, we are a house divided, but that's fine. I think we'll be a house united on the closing track of this album. When I Met You. to being a great song it pulls one of the all-time fake outs it starts with some sinister sinister synths and some skittering and you really think that this whole thing is going to end with just darkness (laughs) and then after about 35 seconds it kicks into this really upbeat melody and some nice strumming that's just easy to digest and all of a sudden it becomes like the only way i can describe it is if Supergrass tried to write a David Bowie That's song. Fair. Yeah. And Rever- reverby. I, I, yeah. It's just pretty and not mad. <laughs> it's just, uh, I, I love how they start. Like it really sounds like the way it starts sounds to me like when day, De- uh, Gary no- Newman tried to go industrial, like the first almost minute of the song is pulsing and synthy and skittering and then just flips. And you're like, oh, this is a nice, pretty song. And they do it flawlessly. And uh, that's that's how I'd open this up for discussion. How do you guys feel about this track? Um, for me, uh, it's 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 a good track. Um, it's, uh, you know, a very serviceable song. Um, I think it, you know, harkens back to uh, his work on Heathen a little bit. Yeah. Um, where it's kind of more of a rocker. Um, but uh, it's not a rocker that uh, in a in a sense that's, you know, akin to like black Sabbath or Led Zeppelin, it's kind of later day Bowie rock. 
um, which is good. That's right. Which is good. I mean, yeah, that's right. yeah. That's where I get the supergrass comparison too. It's kind of just like caught by the fuzz. I got the, like, I got the supergrass comparison because it's like it's not even distorted guitar. It's like a really reverby. Um, elect- rock. electric yeah. Brit rock thing. Brit yeah. Rock. There yeah. you go. It's Brit rock. Yeah, yes. definitely. I mean, um, uh, it's, it's very good. And in, in the sense that I could really also see this being, um, uh, transmutated into the Broadway version. I'm sure that it's like, it was I could just yeah. picture all, all these Hall stamping yeah. around the stage and, <laughs> yeah. you know, pointing that, and, you know, and just, <laughs> that's funny you say that because, I think it really fits as a last song because I feel like it could be like a montage of your life. Yeah. You know, I feel like this song is, uh, I feel like it's uh, the only love song on these albums that we've talked about. And it may or may not be about Iman, but you know, looking back at hard times and having somebody to rely on, um, it's kind of beautiful in that way. And he doesn't, Oh man. And, and, and the lyric that specifically says that is it says when I'm with you, like, you know, it never, it never says like you were there for me or anything, but it's, uh, it, it, it calls out the, the strength that being with you yeah. gave. Me. When I was so, the walking dead, she tore you down. Yeah. I mean, instead of being on heathen, maybe this should be on black tie, white noise. Then if it's about a mon, cause I feel like that whole record is just like, it's a wedding gift, you know? Right. And I think there's even a song called the wedding gift on there. Yeah. That'll be uh, a fun I, record I think... to discuss. Uh, oh boy. <laughs> yeah. Oh boy. Like I was trying to say earlier in our episode for a guy that like had a song called, I can't give everything away. And, but still at the same time has all these personas that everybody else is indulged in. And even though he's very private in the last few years of his life, he was very, everybody knows everything about David Bowie to an extent. I think this song still says, despite all that, I love you woman that was with me for the last like 30 years. You know, you made me feel great. And I, I, yeah, I like that. I, like that. I, I, like I think final, it's beautiful. It's you know, a, yeah, it's a real moment of connection. It's good. No, I, I like it. I think it's a good song. I get where Mark's uh, touchstones on it are. Um, yeah, it, 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 there's there there's one thing it does that I really really like is that there are moments where there's uh, the main melody and the vocals that kind of sync up with it, but meanwhile there's a different uh, chorus going on that is at a different speed, and eventually they link up together. And they do that a couple of times, like the, the dual melodies of vocals, they, they, they get out of step and they lose each other and then they come back. Yeah. And maybe after saying that, how I just said it, if you listen for it, you'll know. I think Bowie about. singing to himself and then back at himself is going to be a theme that we're going to revisit many times in this podcast. And it's a, it's amazing. Yeah. It's amazing. Yeah. All right. So lightning bolts for the EP. Uh, the dissenter, Marcus. What do you say? Two out of five. It, it, you know, it's a good little uh, addendum, little supplementary piece. But I also think it's more like, hey guys, for those that don't want to pick up the Lazarus cast recording, here's David Bowie singing five of those tracks. So there you go. I don't, I don't blame anyone. It's four of those tracks. By oh, the way, four. There you go. The Lazarus cast recording. Oh my god. <laughs> uh, Eric, uh, I w- I actually wasn't going to rank this. I didn't know we were going to do that, but I think Mark's Mark's fair. I mean, 
it's not satisfying like an album. Um, I would be very like, I think like a black star plus, uh, no plan. I think there's like a playlist to be had in there somewhere. Yes, that, there is. That, there that's fun. Is. Um, but yeah, I think, I think two or three out of five is, is totally, totally fair. I think these songs are all, uh, enjoyable. Even if no plan is a little boring, I think the last two tracks are, could be on that black star and maybe even elevate it if it was on there. I don't know. I agree with you both. I think two is fair. It's, it's just, it's, it's a little like, uh, Hey, here you go. You know? Yeah. But it's not like, it's not exploitative as like, Oh, he died and here's some, uh, demo uh, more here's some demos no 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 they're they're fully I mean, realized songs uh, yeah you know we we don't i don't want to scale our grading but it's only two like two of these songs out of the four songs are like it's 50 percent. yeah so you know yeah so there you go that's the black star yeah. era well what um the only other thing i want to add is that um i don't think we mentioned it but the crew that played his backup band they released the album in 2016 um Maybe we'll do a bonus episode. <laughs> and that record is called Beyond Now by Donnie McClaskin. It is available now. <laughs> they covered the song A Small Plot of Land from Outside oh, on it. Cool. So, yeah. So there you go. Um, and uh, other bonus episodes I was thinking of, if we ever get the, uh, that's it. No, I'm going to, I'm going to have the, uh, I'll have the Patreon figured out by the time we release okay. this. And I think, you know, we can put the bonus episodes there and they'll live there for a while and then we'll release them to the public later. We'll see. Uh, you know, grand plans. But here, here's some of the things I'm thinking of. So we've got uh, the, the Visconti uh, Bowiepedia. We've got um, the Lazarus straight stage play track by track, which I'm going to make Eric do by himself. <laughs> um, we're going to we're going to do that Black Star album track by track. The, the Black Star band. I right. Mean. Um, that last five years documentary, yeah. maybe you watch that and talk about it more. Right. Um, uh, maybe the Nirvana unplug special. We'll see. That's a good thing. You know, maybe a reflector by arcade fire, maybe an arcade fire special. Who knows? Um, Star Trek six commentary by Mark and myself. <laughs> Wait, I want to do that. Uh, uh, you know, the, you don't get to do that, oh, but you know, you do to get to do. <laughs> hey, listen, listen, Eric, listen, I got one for you though. Uh, when Mark's finally done with the AFI 100, you guys do an episode together discussing every movie. Oh. <laughs> wow, that'd be, uh, that'd be a lot. Yeah, but we're uh, only allowed to talk get... about each movie for one minute. Like two minutes, yeah. But you know, what's really important is that we do a Romstein episode just because. Sure. But uh, we'll see. So anyhow, that was Black Star. That was a lot of fun. I hope everybody enjoyed the new version of Pod Like a Hole. Which is a are we just gonna call it a space podity now? What are we gonna what are we gonna call this? I believe so. Pilot like a hole presents a space podity. Yeah. It's complicated, but you know, people people get it. They get it. Yeah. They do. No, no, I'm really glad we're keeping this up. And it was a lot of fun listening to this record and, and talking about it. And uh, I was actually, I gotta be honest with you, discussing this stuff's gonna be much more difficult than it was talking about nine nail songs. <laughs> just because like I, I know many, I've listened to many, I've listened to some David Bowie albums more than Nash Nails albums, but they're not as tattooed in my brain as much. And so I have to actually like think about the English language more before I speak about them. If that makes any sure. sense. It does. Yeah. Well, let's see what's, right. uh, what's yeah. our next episode. Yeah. Roll the dice, Eric. All right. So we got some dice here and 
basically the rules of the game are I've got a 20 sided dice and I've got an eight sided dice. There are 27 David Bowie albums. If we ever hit a, if we ever hit 20, then we roll the eight sided dice. If we ever hit a number that we've already hit, then we roll the eight sided dice. So let's see. This is, this is as long as you I know, know what I'm doing. doing. Okay. That's a two. So we're going all the way back to almost the beginning to talk about David Bowie, a.k.a. A Space Oddity. Oh, nice one. Well, considering the name of this podcast, that's fun. And here we are at the end. So why don't we almost go to the beginning? So we're not going to get to talk about the laughing gnome, but uh, close enough. (laughs) All right. And uh, a few things that we uh, helped us out in this episode. Believe it or not, the uh, the Grammys.com website had a bunch of shit on Blackstar, which surprised me. And um, also, there's there's a blog I found called uh, Kyle B. Stiff at WordPress, which had a lot of uh, weird occult shit. Um, and I think Eric Eric found some of that same stuff. Oh, yeah. So. Uh, yeah, a lot of good stuff online that we kind of borrowed from. Uh, like I said, Push, Push the Dame was one that I got a lot from. Um, Kyle the Stiff at WordPress, uh, VigilantCitizen.com. Oh yeah, that one has yeah. some good stuff too. We'll, we'll 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 link this in the show notes. And honestly, there's just so much information out there in these albums that uh, you could go on forever. Yeah, but but so. I really interact with us on our Facebook or our Twitter or Reddit posts. If we miss something, you know, it's not a game of gotcha, but we would love to talk about it. So let us know. And, and we're going to, there's, there's too much. Yeah. We've said that there's too yeah. much shit. There's too much out there. So this is by no means going to be comprehensive, but we're going to do our best to just lean into it as hard as possible. That's right. So, so let us know. All right. Well, well, until then I'm i I'm Steven chambers and uh, who are the other two guys in this thing? Mark Branstead. And Eric Anderson and Mark, we got a little closer to, Pod. Poddy. Poddy. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I don't know like what our tagline is going to be to get out of this one, but uh, we'll workshop well, should it. We, should we, <laughs> what, what can we, I mean, we're here. Let's see. Closer uh, to Poddy. No, no. If you're out there, Major oh, Tom, I hope you heard us. <laughs> Wham, bam. Thank you. Like no, no, no. I like if you, if you're out there, Major. No, I don't. Even, oh, geez. Um, Ground control to major pod. Wasn't that one thing we were thinking of? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Uh, well, well, we'll figure it out. But anyways, uh, we'll get to see you next time. Away. <laughs> Goodbye. <laughs>
So once again, thanks again. We're going to have a lot of fun with this. So we uh, interact with us online. Let us know what you thought of this episode. Um, if we missed any fun facts, which we will always miss fun facts, let us know. All right, thanks a lot. Keep following us in the space. Everything.